Hello, hello, Beth Martins here. I don't have a guest yet, but this is the King Heroes Journey podcast. And so uh, with any luck, Amanda Ridding, who is going to be my guest today, is going to be here shortly. And uh, we can just chat and I will start Rockfin. So let me see. Okay. All right. We're going to go live on Rockfin. And I'm going to grab a link for anyone who wants to jump over onto that uncensored platform. We love those. I'm on borrowed time in Babylon here, but that's all right with me. I'm good. All right. So if anyone wants to jump on, there's the link in the chat if you are on YouTube. And we're also live on Facebook. And how are you guys doing? Come and say hi in the chat if you're there already. And I wonder if Amanda's having some trouble with the link. Let me see. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to quickly message her and ask her if you need to get a tea or go and uh, grab a notebook. There's going to be lots of information today. It's very interesting about the Canadian court process. Hello, Waters Above. Nice to see you. Tea Post is here. Thank you. It's awesome. Glad to see you. And... Yeah, I did a really fun stream yesterday, if you didn't catch it. That was uh, super energizing. This is one of the things that I love and adore about my work, being able to connect with people. Somebody asked, actually asked me the other day, what is my superpower in law? And because I'm kind of a baby in law and I'm new to all of this, relatively new now, my really uh, big superpower, my claim to fame in this arena is connecting people. And I love to do that. I never get tired of doing that. Super fun for me. Everyone needs to find a thing that's super fun. Hello, Yvette Shinebright. Nice to see you. Hmm. I wonder if we might have a time zone issue. I know when I hosted Shade Stone, he, he was an hour late for one interview because of that. And I'll just message her one more time and say, we are on now. So hopefully this will work out. Just bear with me. Do, 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 do. TJ Mars is coming on on Friday. Super excited about that. That's going to be so good. Oh man, I just found her email and now I can't find it. Let me see. Miss Amanda, are you guys familiar with her? Have you tuned in at all with her work so far? She's with Stand For The dot com uh, in partnership with Jane Scarf and Shade Stone, as I just mentioned. Also, um, Rebecca, I don't remember her last name. I'll be interviewing her as well sometime in the nearish future. And uh, I'm just going to say we are on now. We are live now. And let me know if there's anything I can help with. So let me see. I know she's a multitasker. I saw her on the interview with Cal Washington on a show. I can't remember the name exactly what that was. And uh, while she wasn't talking, she was she was working. <laughs> she was doing stuff. Women have a, that. That's a superpower of women to be able to multitask. I think I might have multitasked too much in my life. I know that when I had my baby, I uh, was trying to do, you know, 
three things at the same time and four things at the same time and five things at the same time. And they say that, you know, children would actually uh, probably perish if a woman couldn't multitask, right? If you can't make sure your kid's not dying and cook supper and, you know, prepare for whatever is to come in the evening and all that kind of thing, then nobody would survive it, right? And uh, I, I, I would joke with myself, when I hit not doing nine things at one time, I would fall down. There would just be a complete meltdown and everything would fall apart. And I think I might have, you know, ruined that multitasking uh, muscle a little bit in the process. I don't know, some of you might have experienced adrenal burnout. And I, I found that was similar in uh, multitasking burnout. Anyone have that experience themselves? Yeah, adrenals are really important. It's so easy to burn those babies out and they're here for us. But, uh, you know, when you're running on empty and you're trying to start that engine, nothing's happening, then it's time to really go back and uh, drink licorice tea. That's something actually I would periodically remember super good for your adrenals. And uh, yeah, so we are here to talk about Canadian court procedure today. And Rose Triple Seven was asking me last night, so who in Canada would you point to that's, you know, being a really powerful leader and getting results in law? And my mind went like, there's just so few. I actually said Amanda and and the Stand for the group are probably getting the most tangible results of anybody that I am hearing about in Canada. And uh, there's probably a whole lot more behind the scenes people that we're not even aware of out there yet. It seems like the, you know, the most knowledgeable ones out there are going to um, be more quiet and more private. For example, I would love to interview David Miller, if I'm getting his right as name correct. And he's somebody who's out there, not in Canada, but he's training people to create PMAs, to be the, uh, the ones actually helping people create PMAs. And I love that approach uh, that uh, training the trainers is better even, I mean, it's great to train people and it's even better to train the trainers because then the spill-off effect, the ripple effect is going to be that much greater. That's why I turned to training coaches and we're just reaching the end of the last journey code session. It's a seven month program, quite a haul, quite a marathon. And I have watched these people transform before my very eyes and the satisfaction is completely off the charts. You know, they look different. They report feeling different. More importantly, they're doing different things than they used to do. They have skills now to, rather than just always wrestle with the flesh and the circumstances and the things that are going wrong out there, they take it inside themselves and do the work here because that makes the um, work you have to do outside much less, right? You don't have to push the river all the time. You can go with that internal flow in a different way. Alrighty. So no word from Amanda. I wonder if we are not going to, maybe we just get to have a chat today. So how are you guys doing? <laughs> What's going on in your world? I had a kind of a funny morning. I Yesterday I went out to the grocery store. Our restrictions have been lifted. I tell you this already yesterday. And I go to the grocery store. I'm kind of excited. And I walk in and everybody has masks on, like practically every single person. And so I did see one elderly gentleman and he didn't have a mask on. And I went up to him and I said, 
it's so great to see your face because I was all bottled up inside. I wanted to tell everybody with a mask on, like, it's over, let it go. You're, you know, you didn't die yet. Nothing wrong is going to happen to you. I just, I just wanted to yell. And I thought, you know, Beth, just don't create conflict. Don't, don't uh, make anybody feel bad or scare anyone or anything like that. So I just kept it under wrap. But when I talked to this, this uh, beautiful old gentleman, I said, it's so nice to see your face. He said, yes, it's so nice to see your face too. I shaved. Can you tell? <laughs> like this. And he said, yes, I have all of these breathing problems. And it's really been a terrible hardship for me to, to go and wear masks when in public. And uh, I said, you, you'd never had to wear them. I never wore one like this. And uh, he says to me, oh, I feel so happy now. Thank you for talking to me. I just feel so happy. He was bubbling up with joy. And uh, so I, I uh, thought that was a really good call not to make trouble with other people, but just go and meet with our own somewhere. That's what's happening. The wheat and the chaff are separating. We're identifying ourselves. businesses that are uh, able to let down restrictions now. Some of them are not. And, uh, you know, that's their choice. That's the government spilling the, the liability right over to them. And uh, I guess I could talk a little bit about Amanda. If, uh, if she doesn't come for some reason, then then um, you'll hear about her. And I asked her some questions in an email. So I do consider her to be a king hero for sure. And she's got real wins in court. And she's going to be talking about contract law. That's the primary arena that she's operating in. She's got a new instrument. To, I don't know if it's new to her called promissory estoppel. That's a form of conditional acceptance. And conditional acceptance is a wonderful approach. If you get that in your blood and your bones, that every time somebody makes you an offer, uh, to first of all, know that it is an offer. They're not telling you what to do. They're offering you the opportunity to, to follow their suggestions and their restrictions or whatever it is. And uh, if you say yes, but in contract law, yes, but... You know, if you can prove there is a pandemic, if you can prove that uh, you have the authority to give me medical advice, or you can prove that you have the authority to give me legal advice, is an, is a is another one that's that's so great. I was listening to T.J. Mars last night talk about without prejudice on on signatures. I have swapped out my signatures on my driver's license and my passport and my son's passport. And, uh, you know, whenever I go to sign something, now I sign it without prejudice so that it's not just this, this uh, unconditional acceptance of every little bit of their contract, right? It says, no, actually, I don't waive any rights in, in your contract. And uh, I stand by my rights and I will choose consciously which ones to waive and which ones to not. And uh, hello, Anton, nice to see you. Glad to have you here. Super good. Uh, so um, if if she comes, Amanda is going to share her strategies and methods for going on the offense in court process, because this is actually a really good philosophy of mine for living in general, is that you can sit around and wait for life to blow up in your face, and it will, not because the, that uh, life has anything against you or that uh, you know, you're meant to suffer. That's absolutely not the case, but it's that you know, one way or the, the other, we are meant to go free. And this is God's will for us. God wills as many 
of his children to go free on their choice, having given over free will choice. Sometimes I joke to myself and wonder if God made a mistake or if he, if, if, you know, if, if he feels that he made a mistake about that, giving us free will, what a dangerous thing that was. And uh, so, yes, you have to, you have to choose and uh, not accept unconditionally the, the things that people tell you and uh, to listen to God instead is a really good idea. And then if you just sit around and wait for life to blow up in your face, it, it absolutely will because of this will for freedom. Now, the alternative is that you go out and make trouble for yourself by trying to do something that is outside of your comfort zone, right? Something that is in your heart, that it's pushing up from you and saying, like, Beth, you need to do this. You need to put this kind of work out. You need to make this kind of space available for learning, for examples. And, um, and then by doing that, by making your own trouble, all of your internal uh, stuff that argues with that and resists your freedom is going to come up, right? Desiring freedom, it's very powerful. People forget to desire freedom. They want everything but freedom because we're never taught to want that. And most people don't even have a hot clue what freedom is to them. And I can't tell you what that is because it's between you and God, your personal private relationship that no one could ever have any authority over whatsoever. So this is um, a, a, uh, a, a big key to want freedom. And you can do a little, you know, create an experiment with yourself and a little game as you go along in life and just check and see what do you want more than freedom, right? Do you want to not wear a mask more than what you want freedom? Do you want your children to have a uh, beautiful long life more than you want freedom? Those, those sound like awesome things. And how could you want something more than that? Well, that's part of the technique and the process that I teach and coach with so that people can get their priorities straight. As soon as you want something more than freedom, then you are hooked, right? Desire is a hook and it's a vacuum. It's going to constantly tell you that you don't have something. And even when you do have something, the programming of, of that basic wanting for anything but freedom is going to put a bag or a box over your head. You're not going to be able to see through it. It's going to push you around with fear and the beautiful thing that happens when you push yourself around from, from love, from, you know, being courageous, which can also be fear, by the way, that's a, a hidden element can be in there. But if you push yourself around and you, you did it from a place of clarity and by letting your fears go, then you make yourself do stuff Then I find personally that the world doesn't make nearly as much trouble for me. I don't have I don't have trouble in my relationships nearly to the degree that I used to because I keep putting trouble on my plate and then I can't easily blame anybody for that. Right? I know I did it and that's my that's my motto, that's my slogan for the Primal Power course is that I did it. It's going to be it's a title of my next book. I don't know exactly when I'm going to write that book, but uh it is um it's practically written. All of the content is there. Hello, David Vincent. Lovely to see you. Kathleen Poehler, lucky to have you here. So great. And darn it. <laughs> darn it. Yeah. So we're 15 minutes into it. 
I don't know if she got the time wrong or the day wrong. She emailed me this morning saying she got it. And uh, anyway, so I'll, I'll uh, talk a little bit more about her. She says, I started uh, self-educating in law because I did not like the way people were being constantly railroaded for minor, minor things while criminals were not being pursued at all. Some people say that the law is actually for good people, right? For not the criminals, because the criminals don't even give a crap about the law or doing what's right. Good people know right from wrong more than somebody who intends harm, that's for sure. And uh, she says thefts were reported, would go uninvestigated along with other such issues. And uh, after she started to learn net more, she... Um, uh, actually became victim to frivolous civil charges herself, which is often the case. People need some kind of, right, this is what I'm talking about, some kind of fire under their butt from the outside to get them going in this. And I don't want to congratulate myself, but maybe I will anyway, that I didn't have any, you know, really severe problems in law. We did, as the pandemic go on, have a, a threat against our children. But I started studying law before that because I got the strong inner urge to do that, what I didn't even want to do. And I had to pass through a great deal of resistance and I still don't want to do it, but I'm, but I'm doing it. <laughs> uh, so uh, she said that um, after becoming a, a victim of frivolous charges, then she began to push harder and uh, learn how to defend her rights. She says she's always enjoyed helping people and that uh, to say it's truly altruistic would be misleading. And she gets a, a feeling of well-being, helping others, sharing her knowledge, and helping them see the bigger picture so they can make the best, most informed decisions for themselves. She also recognizes that by sharing her knowledge to empower those around her and um, help preserve her own freedom now in the future, that brings her great satisfaction. And uh, she says that can, what inspires her, the Canadians she's met who are eager to learn and ready to assert their rights, give her hope seeing so many people in all walks of life come together as they have unifying and identifying as Canadian. Now, this is interesting, unifying and identifying as Canadian. So um, I'll just uh, talk about that a little bit, that what I notice is the unification is a very common message of our controllers, right? That's the globalist agenda, everybody in the world, one world, one love. One Life, you're hearing a U2 song. I used to love U2, but blech, can't go there anymore. There's just so much yuck in there. And, uh, and, and is that truly what we need to do, unify everybody in the world? How in God's name could that even be possible? We, we've got the internet and we've got the ability to connect with people across the world, but that doesn't make us unified, right? That Kathleen, I don't know where you are in the world, but you probably aren't right here with these circumstances, you know, with these elements, with this climate, with these um, needs, you know, with this land that that um, functions in this way, and our inherited uh, mores, our inherited way of being, our inherited ethics, all of this kind of stuff is very much. Um, decentralized, although this word is being weaponized against us now as well, that we have very specific things. And, and I, you know, I believe in leaders, I believe in people coming forward. 
I believe they are called. It's one of those things. And they're the, the best leaders are the, those that don't actually have any um, desire for that. Usually they don't want that. They don't want to be leaders. And uh, those those unlikely leaders end up being uh, the ones who are are called. And it's beautiful because if you desire leadership, then there's a lot of uh, likelihood that you're, you know, you're going to teeter on that, that dark and light side of the king that I write about in my book. And uh, power is, and uh, I was going to say aphrodisiac, <laughs> I guess it is to some people. It's, it's one of those things that when people get it over other people, all it does is make you want more of it. And that's what we can see. Every little bit of control that that our governments have taken over us, for example, it just made them want more. They never got satisfied by having a certain amount of control over people. So yes, this unification to me is a false narrative. I don't want unification, right? I, I want people to come together uh, in their own private spaces where they share values where they share common goals, where they love each other enough to work through the hard things. And that, that happens, right? Like that's, that's a normal course. As soon as there's any closeness, any, any real connection, your shit comes up and you're going to have to deal with it. You know, in these last two years watching people uh, go into conflicts and uh, try to navigate through those conflicts without, you know, ideally you're never trying to control someone else. You're looking at, okay, what's here inside myself? Why am I triggered by that person trying to control my perspective on God and religion and the Bible, especially all of that kind of stuff. And uh, if you just take it in and, and then, and then uh, your people, if you are really authentic about who you are and what you're a stand for, then your people will find you. Also, if you are public enough about your message, if you're not hiding who you are, then your people can find you and you can find your people that way. And I believe we are meant to go into cohorts. Now, I hate that word too, because they cohorted the children in schools, but, but to you know, come together in these, these much smaller manageable groups to support each other, to combine efforts, to, you know, you, you have skills in one way and the person, the other person has skills in the other way. And together you are definitely stronger. They stole that word together. <laughs> we have almost no words left. And uh, uh, yes, Jed, exactly. Unification sounds like the Vatican party line. I'm glad somebody else sees that as well. I was shaking my head just listening to these messages all of the last two years and going like, really, that's that's just not what we're doing here or what we should be doing here. Hello, Pinker Little. Nice to see you. New World Order just following their script to the end of the story with a one world leader. Exactly. I mean, it's clear as day. So that's, um, yeah, good to see that you that you see that. And uh, maybe Amanda's not uh, going to come. So maybe it's very likely she thought it was a different time zone. I always say my time zone so I don't get their time zone wrong, but um, I wonder if they had daylight savings there. I wonder if I can call Amanda. I knew I had her, I know I had her number originally, so let me see if I can give her a shout. I will try. And Amanda Ridding, let's see if I can get her attention. Um, 
I'm Nanda. We've been live for 24 minutes. Um, are y'all coming? I hope you're all right. And let me see if I can grab her phone number. Good thing to is not assume anybody did anything exactly wrong. Okay, so here's your phone number. I'm going to just give her a call. You guys can hear this. And we got, I won't read her number out loud. Okay, here we go. Let's see if we get her on the line. And uh, yeah, apologies, you guys. In Ontario, it is 424. Yep, that's it. Exactly. Yeah, that I know. Hi, you reached Amanda Redding with Remax. Yep. So yeah, she's not answering the phone. Alrighty. Well, we'll stay for a few more minutes. I don't know if you caught my stream yesterday. That was quite a rant. And uh, it was interesting because I, I, I just hit that line in the sand. No more fear porn, please. No more fear porn. It's so demoralizing. It's so depressing. And I don't like to ignore people's messages on my on my uh, thread. I always, you know, just to give people dignity that they've taken the time to post something. And I want to look into it and look at it. And then, uh, you know, it's controlled up, it's fear porn, it's some kind of uh, germ theory. I got somebody somebody uh, talking to me about germ theory on my thread even right now as we speak. And uh, I just thought, you know, wouldn't this be amazing if we were here to like create and and strategize and bring ourselves together in ways that we are uh, have common interest, right? And uh, it's one uh, twenty-five in Seattle. Yep. <laughs> you guys can all tell me what, what time it is, where you are. So that's to me the vision. And when I went to my chat last night, there was still, you know, it's a very old habit. I don't think anybody is doing anything on purpose to try to spread fear and the globalist agenda and do the, all of their work for them, which, which you are doing when you spread fear. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just a habit. It's just something that you can easily get into. I know that before the pandemic, I was waking up some, you know, just a few years in advance. And I really started to dive in and watch every freaky thing on the internet. I was looking for it. I was combing around for it. And I, I want to know all the lies. I want to know what the snakes were doing. I want to know how they operate. And, you know, to be fair, you do need to know how snakes operate. The Bible says, you know, be as wise as a serpent and as gentle as a dove. So you need to, you do need to know how the serpents think and act and what are their strategies? How do they get you off your game? But once you know, then you know, you already know. And you don't need to keep looking at that over and over again. I caught myself in this habitual place. And I also watched, okay, how do I feel every time I watch something like that? Even if there's some strange kind of satisfaction in it, how do I feel after? Do I have more energy? Do I have more inspiration? Do I have more life in me? Do I have more ability to take action and do good and follow my sacred purpose? Or am I depleted? Am I heavy? Am I depressed? Am I hopeless? Am I, you know, frozen, not taking action at all? That's very, very, very important. 
And uh, yeah, I know, I know, Jed, she has a lot to share. I know that's why I went out of my way to connect with her and uh, have her on the show. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm not going to give up on her. I won't. I won't. I won't. Just feeds our reptilian brain, Pinker. Exactly. It feeds that part of ourself that's that's ready for that. And uh, it's uh, yeah, but we don't get anywhere. We don't get anywhere with it. Some people feel like, you know, fear is necessary to protect you. But if you look in and you study the energetics of that fear, what is taking your life is not protecting you, right? So if you are brave enough to let your fear go and life comes back into your system because you're not using it to suppress the crap out of those painful programs, then all of a sudden, this is protection. What is real protection? It's called awareness. It's called your eyes are open to what's happening out there. You're going to see the bus that's going to hit you sooner. You'll realize like, oh my God, I just walked in front of a bus. By the way, speaking of buses, I, for the first time in my entire life, saw a bus stuck in the snow on the street that they should be plowing. They don't plow our streets anymore at all. And uh, so that was, I, I just, I was, I was like blown away seeing a bus stuck and there's all these people and they're trying to shovel their way out and putting sand down. And we had a big laugh at that. Like never in my entire life I seen this. Anyway, I'm just ranting about buses now and the streets are bad. And uh, do I know Christopher Hauser? Yes. I've been getting to know Christopher Hauser through Rose triple seven and she is hosting him on, I believe it's Friday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. And I might jump on there. She's going to talk to him for an hour. And she's invited a, a few of us to maybe be in the back and um, uh, come and ask him some questions. So, yep, yep, very interesting. And and uh, Alphonse thinks he's setting everyone up for disaster. So we still have these, we still have these two paradigms. But in my mind, it's fairly... Uh, well resolved at this stage of the game. And is there a possibility she'll be on? Uh, yeah. So we could try to stay on for another half an hour if you guys are game to, to hang out with me. And so, yeah, it's possible that uh, she's in Eastern time and she, she read my 3 PM uh, as a, her 3 PM. I can see. I always put the time zone in my times. So, and then, and then, um, so I don't get it wrong when I guess where people are at. So I could check my emails. I don't want to really check my emails. That That's going to distract the crap out of me. <laughs> I'd rather be here with you. What are you guys dealing with out there? What's what's happening in your worlds? What's going on? Are, are people still believing in the pandemic? Are they more obsessed with the war that's going on? How are you doing? How's your heart and your mind? How's your health? And uh, hello, Tubert. I guess nice to meet you. I like your name. Hope all's well. Do you have a process for writing notices to companies or some kind of template that you follow? Yeah, so um, there are a lot of templates out there. But when we wrote our notices for the, um, the situation when our Manitoba government said that a child 12 years older and up could go and get poison injections without any parental permission or or even presence, then that was my line in the sand. And we began to write notices. We did have somebody in the back end that was helping us who had a lot more knowledge than we did. We spent five months writing that notice. And it was specifically a notice of conditional acceptance. 
So the difference between a, a, a notice of liability, which is very popular, and there are just like tons of, of um, templates out there, that it's it's okay to start with a template, but don't don't copy and paste out of a template and send it on and think that that something's going to happen with that. So we poured our heart and our soul into it. We worked incredible numbers of hours to write and research this document. So in an, in the notice of liability, you're going to have to prove your claims, whereas in the notice of conditional acceptance they have to prove theirs. And that's a way better situation if they have to prove their claims. So we put together a 28-page document because there was 17 pages worth of, of their claims that we needed them to prove, right? The, the jabs are safe and effective, for example. Um, that they have the power of attorney over my child, which they are claiming because they're saying that it's it's uh, legal for the 12 year olds to make their own choices. And uh, so, yes, we put this document together. We sent it up the chain to 12 respondents. It was originally 11 turned into 12. We started with a superintendent of our school division. We noticed our local um, health officers. We noticed our uh, provincial education and health ministers, as well as the premier of the province who, who, who like bailed out of his office, I think, because he saw the writing on the wall. And there was, in fact, an interim one and then another one. So we ended up having to notice them. And then we went federal as well to the minister of health and the, um, the governor general, all the way up at uh, the chain chopping at the head of the snake because they all made oaths in their office that uh, that um, backs up to the queen's oath to protect the Christian faith, right? In 1953, she made an oath and every one of our public officials swears an oath to the queen. Therefore, they are also swearing to, uh, an oath to uphold the Christian faith, which is where our rights really lie under God. And so, um, you know, the process for, for writing is going to be to, to basically state the facts of the matter. If you're writing, say, conditional acceptance, you're stating the facts of the matter, their claims. And then you're also stating the uh, conditions under which you will accept their offers. So it's a, an instrument in commerce where they've made an offer that 12-year-olds can do whatever they want. And you're going, oh, sure, you can come and inject my children without my permission and uh, take my power, assume power of attorney over my child. If you can prove there is a pandemic, if you can prove there is contagion, if you can prove that you, in fact, do have power of attorney over my son or daughter. These are just a few examples of those. And we all also included a section in as a, an offer to remedy. Now, this is something I, I kind of regret because our offer to remedy was off the charts. And uh, it was something that I don't think the average person would be able to do. So that was it, it was made it a little bit impossible for them to really come clean with our our um, with our uh, demands. And what we also included was a uh, fee schedule. So in the case that you make infractions, say that that you go into default and dishonor, which they did, they never responded. Then we had certain uh, conditions that would go into place and a fee schedule. 
Exactly. Yeah. And it, yes, it can be powerful when it's done right. And what I learned along the way is that in Canada, compared to the US, I think that notices would work better in the US because you guys do sue each other over there. You know, you're a litigious society, you're expecting people to take action. And in Canada, we don't. I was trying to think my whole life, do I even know someone who sued someone? I don't even know someone who sued someone. That's five decades. Oh my gosh. Right now, my dad, uh, he's one person. He would always take clients to small claims court when they wouldn't pay their bills. He won every single time. And that was awesome. He did use a lawyer for that, but it was all clean and he would get that bill paid. He would pay the lawyer a little bit, but he would get that bill paid. And, uh, so that was really good, but we just, we just generally don't do that here. We're, we, you know, we pay for our insurance and we think we're all taken care of. And the first thing that a Canadian does when they get a notice like that is go and take it to their lawyer. And what is the lawyer going to say is you don't have to do anything, right? Because until you actually file anything with the courts and start taking them to task in the discovery process, saying, okay, you have to prove these claims and here's a, a notice of admission and here's, uh, you know, interrogatory questions that you have to answer and uh, some other stuff that I can't remember. If you take Dr. Graves' course, it's all in there, by the way. And I do have a link under my uh, show notes to Dr. Graves' course if you're interested to, to do that. And we have a Canadian procedure group. But uh, yeah, so the notices, they are good in that you tried to settle with your brother out of court. So this is this was our attempt to settle out of court. Uh, by the way, another really important uh, feature of this notice that we made was a $10 million joinder fee. So if they brought a third party interloper into the, uh, you know, into the process with us, that it was going to cost them $10 million. And at first it was just a million dollars. And then we started adding up like, hmm, if they bring a lawyer into this process and they take us to court and start taking us to task, guess how fast you spend a million dollars on a lawyer? So I do believe that was a very strategic move, an excellent move that comes from Cal Washington, the way that he's created his notices, now their notices of liability uh, on his side. But uh, I think that was very effective because we did not hear one peep from them. Usually you hear something, but uh, we, we didn't. And, and there's proof that they got all of those notices because we did it by registered mail. There was a little mail fraud in the, in the thing, in the, in the, uh, along the way. And I had to call the post office and say like, Hey, why aren't you delivering these notices? And the very next, and I, and I, I said mail fraud and the very next day that they, they uh, all popped up as delivered. So, um, yeah, so that was basically the gist of the of the notice. And uh, it's something that you should write from your heart and your soul. I know Amanda would say, whatever you do under any circumstance, never to quote the, the um, Canadian Charter. This is a big part of her message. She's got all of her success with the Canadian Bill of Rights, quoting them only. Uh, now, you know, we're in the process of looking for the criminal code at the federal level to see what crimes are actually being committed and could be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt and charges would stick along those lines. And um, yeah, so that's my, that's my mention about notices and um, hello. Yeah. So um, I think that was, yeah, if you have any other questions about that, I don't miss a thing. Thank you. <laughs> you have um, 
Sahar dust in Switzerland? This stuff is magnetic? Oh, that doesn't sound good at all. Yeah, yeah. Everything that people think is attacked by, by viruses and microbes, I think, is this what you're talking about. I haven't, I've never heard of Sahar dust. Doesn't sound good. And um, yeah, so is there any way you could book a one-on-one -on -one regarding a legal matter, Kathleen? So no, I don't coach anybody in law. I coach people to let go of their fears, to follow their sacred purpose. So if it's fear that's stopping you in a legal, legal matter, uh, or that sense that, you know, of confusion and you don't know where to turn and all that kind of thing, this I can help you with. And in fact, we created the whole course called Primal Power, God's Law for that exact purpose. And people were able to have breakthroughs in that way, but I don't consult anybody in law. I'm I'm still a baby. And even even those that are really well um, versed in all of this, they often say, I'm not giving legal advice. TJ Mars, he, he, he opens his conversations that way. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not giving legal advice. This is all for the purpose of study. And, and it's true, you know, we do need to have our own, um, uh, ability to take action in these matters. Oh, this cat, <laughs> cat juggling over here. Because otherwise, you know, that person might not be there for you and, and lawyers don't generally act in your best interest. They're working for the Bar Associ Association. They have allegiance to the lawyers. We're also part of the Bar Association. Um, Dr. Graves says they can just be lazy and they don't, they don't want to take the time or, or the opposite. In fact, they want to extend the time, create more conflict than, than was there even in the first place. And, uh, you know, how much can we grow up and handle our own matters and have discussions? There were, there were times where I thought maybe I needed to take a family member to court and start really taking action against them. And I saw like, well, nothing good can come of that. Nothing good. So I just did my inner work. I worked on myself. I took my own uh, aggression out, my own desire to crush and kill somebody and, uh, and then that transform that uh, relationship transformed before my very eyes. The one who was acting like an enemy was acting like my friend again. And that's where we want to be, right? So that, oh, yeah, she thought it was 5 p.m. Eastern time. Oops. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So I, so I'll just say, are you still coming? Do you still want, do you want to, are, are you able to come now? Let me see. Are you able to come now? Or should we reschedule? I got all dressed up. <laughs> and yeah, so 5 p.m. Eastern would be in 15 minutes. So let's see if she could jump on. That would be lovely. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. And dump the charter. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a message to get out there. Everybody using the charter right now. Oh, look, Amanda came. That's awesome. She, she's really fast. She's just connecting her device. Yay. Super good. So we have, we do have a guest for today. That's awesome. Hello, Chelsea. Nice to see you. And uh, meaning anyone to talk to getting out of contract with a corrupt lawyer. Meaning, hmm, Pinker, I'm not sure what you're, oh, you have a question. Anyone familiar with big Purdue Sackler family using bankruptcy court getting away with, way literally with opiate lawyers and states making all money. I need some advice. Sorry, I totally don't understand your question. Um, so let's see. She's trying to get on. Uh, maybe jump off. Uh, okay. 
So bear with me for a second while I help Amanda. I'm just going to leave her a message. Um, there is a gear at the bottom of the screen called settings. And if you open that, it, it allows you to choose your camera. And if need be, we can just do audio. So let's see. Yeah, if you want to clarify your question, Pinker. And anyone to talk to getting out of contract with corrupt lawyer. Okay, so you're trying to get out of a contract. Yeah, so I don't know, but that's actually a good question for Amanda, if you want to help remind me about that. And that's good. So don't let them tell you not to defend yourself. That's the number one right we have. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're going to try to tell you all kinds of things. You really have to question everything and say, okay, what's your evidence for that? Hello, Mike. New, no, you're not late at all. We're, <laughs> we've been here for a while, but Amanda is just going to come on. We have a time zone thing. And uh, yeah, it's almost almost time. She's, uh, she's trying. Karen B is here again. Great to see you in two days in a row. I love that. That's awesome. Karen B, I love your, um, I've listened just to a little bit here and there, but I love your not religious scripture. Oh, and Amanda's trying to talk to me over here. going to try and connect through Facebook. Mm, Facebook won't work. Um, so it's saying, uh, let's see, do you see the gear? at the bottom of the screen. And can you hear me, Amanda? You do see the gear. Okay, so tap on that. And you can hear me, perfect. <laughs> so we're in contact, yay, excellent. And then, so yeah, if you open that gear, it's gonna give you uh, an option for camera. And in there, it's going to ask you if you want to hook up your camera or not. And if that's not working, you can X out. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> Yay, it worked. Excellent. Okay, so good. And you want to give me a thumbs up if you're ready to come on, Amanda? Yeah, the anti-religious uh, show is really good on Karen's. Did I lose my thing? So we're just waiting for the... The thumbs up. Are you good to go, Amanda? She is. Excellent. Okay, here we go. Yay. Amanda's here. Sorry, folks. So I'm just going to mute you for us. Okay, there you go. Yeah, if you've got... Yeah, if you've got the stream running, you could pause that or, or, or mute that or put a headset on that would that would Oh, I think it was because I had two windows open for the stream because I was trying to see if I could figure out Facebook. Ah, okay. So, okay, there you go. I didn't even get a chance to tidy up my messy desk behind me, folks, so no judgment. Uh, <laughs> I've been hard at it all day. I've been working on um, a project for a close friend of mine who's having some issues. So we're doing a promissory estoppel for an order that has been, like, she's willing to work to a certain degree, but at the same time, they're going for more than they're really entitled to. So we're just working on that right now. Good for you. Yeah, messy house. My, my grandma used to say that. It's, oh, we do have an echo here. So one way to do it would just be to mute when you're not talking would be. And then, uh, yeah, otherwise a headset would probably cure that. And you could also look at your gear and see if you've got echo cancellation. Let me let me see if I could hit that myself. Echo cancellation is on on my side. So you might under your audio setting in in uh, in that gear you might see echo cancellation and that would help as well to keep your, your mic open if you like. And uh, so, yeah, my grandma would always say if she went into somebody's house that was tidy, she, she didn't like it. 
then then it meant they had no soul and they weren't doing any work and there was nothing good going on there. She wanted to see, you know, like books half open and magazines and seeds in the corner and all that kind of thing. So I, I yeah, I, I like mess <laughs> or it's just, it's not a sign of anything bad. So welcome, Amanda. I'm so glad you could make it here. I've been uh, talking to these great peeps. They're, they're, I have a lovely audience here. They're very into the law and we're excited to have you here. So um, would you like to say anything? I did introduce you earlier and shared the notes that you shared with me as well. And would you like to dive in with anything you want to share about yourself in advance? Or would you like to, me to start asking questions? I well, just I, I want to put out a disclaimer, folks. I'm not uh, I'm not a legal professional. I'm not licensed to practice law. Um, uh, the information that I share is just for education purposes only, and it's based on what I myself have managed to figure out over the last uh, decade plus. <laughs> so, um, and it's been enhanced a lot. It's, I, it's amazing how many leaps I've made in just in the last year, thanks to everything that's going on, and and also to having had the fortune of meeting um, Jane and Rebecca because we've all, we all have different experiences. We all have different knowledge in it. And we've actually been able to enhance each other's knowledge because of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's brilliant. Yeah. Working together and then actually doing stuff, right? The practical nature of, um, of not just, uh, by the way, if you have external volume, uh, Karen B was just reminding me, if you have external volume turned on, if you turn that down, but then you will need a headset to hear me. I think that's the that's the problem. Okay, no problem. Yeah, so we'll just go with that with that uh, muting. And uh, d by the way, d does anybody ever hire you in in the in like knowing that you're not a legal professional? But does anybody ever hire you to help them with a case, or or do you prefer uh, to to educate and just send them on their way to do things? Someone was asking if they could hire me. It's it's a no with law for sure. So I I don't put myself out to hire. Um, to work legally for you, unless of course you want to buy or sell real estate, because I am actually licensed to, to trade real estate in Ontario. And there I can actually write law um, and I'm covered. Um, but having said that, I actually encourage people to, you know, I'll share the education with them and I'll even say bounce questions off of me. But if you're going to self-represent and at the end of the day, what we do is self-representation, you're better to do the work yourself. And I don't mean just study it. I mean, write the documents, have someone double check the documents by all means, but write the documents, seek out what authorities. And when I say authorities, I'm talking about legislation, criminal law, um, case precedent that you're going to use to, to back up your, your documents. Um, because by doing the work yourself, practice makes perfect. You actually gain a better understanding by working with it. You gain a, um, a better knowledge working with it. So when the day comes that you might actually have to stand in front of a court and and defend your position, that that practical knowledge from working with it is going to save your bacon. Right. One of the things I learned early on is that your intention is the soul of that legal instrument. And uh -huh. so that's like, if it doesn't have your intention, then it doesn't have soul. So, and I always think of the Holy Trinity. So a contract is kind of like the Holy Trinity. You have the father, the son and the, and, and the Holy ghost, which is the spirit. So uh, I'll use, I always use real estate as a, as an analogy. If you have a, a seller and a buyer and then the contract, the seller may be, and, and don't shoot messenger folks, but think of the sellers, potentially the, the God and the buyer would be, 
um, the sun and then the contract would be the spirit. So you have your Holy Trinity. And of mm. course it's the attention is always the spirit. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. How nice. All right. Well, let's see where we could dive in that. Um, I mean, first of all, it would just be so great to hear because we've heard nothing but, uh, you know, a lot of, or not nothing, but we've heard a lot of bad news the past two years. So do you want to share some success stories with us to begin with? And then we'll get into some of the details about how they happened. Absolutely. So, um, and I, probably the one thing I will throw in there is, um, believe it or not, as much as I've been studying law and injustice and whatnot, and I had been questioning what the heck was going on through the start of this pandemic, I only truly jumped down the rabbit hole, I'm ashamed to admit, last August. <laughs> so so from that perspective, uh, when I jumped down the rabbit hole and I came back up and I realized I needed to find a group that I could share my knowledge with, um, I started out with another group who I will not name other than to say I have no respect for them and I don't trust them farther than I can spit and I don't spit very far. Um, then uh, I found Rebecca and Jane, but I found Rebecca and Jane through a lot of their their YouTube videos. And it was in one of the, uh, Jane's videos that she talked about the Bill of Rights. And as soon as she did, having personally done a charter challenge in my past, I kind of went, she's right. Oh my God, is she ever right? And I looked at the bill in the past. I'd read the bill, but I never gave it much thought. Like everyone else, I was focused on the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms because that's what we were told to do. This is where we were guided to go. So I I, I stuck with the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And as soon as I, I heard Jane speak, I went, my goodness, like she's right. So, and it was funny because like within, as that started um, going through my head, like two days later, does a newspaper article in my area not come out? And there's a guy in my area, and his name is John Chipola. And uh, um, he's a freedom fighter. And uh, he um, also uh, had a, a protest ticket from last spring. And I remember reading the article because everyone in the protest, they had all been charged. And the article was talking about how they had all had their charges withdrawn. And the reporter interviewed John Chipola and John Chipola said, well, we all have the right to life, liberty, security of person, enjoyment of property, not to be deprived thereof, except by due process of law. And the, the reporter quotes John. And I'm reading the article going, does the reporter know that they just quoted John citing the Canadian Bill of Rights? <laughs> and that's when I found out John Chipola used the Canadian Bill of Rights. He didn't use the charter. Um, and so from there, uh, we had um, uh, we had a, a one of our own in our group, Dave Freedom. He also last spring was uh, up on charges, and they actually escalated his charges to some criminal charges as well, criminal mischief. And they impounded his speakers, and and he, you know, they they told him he wasn't allowed to go to protest anymore, and he wasn't allowed to buy any more speaker systems. And he uh, he informed the, and then he went into a pretrial. In the pretrial, they said, "Okay, well, you know, we're willing to offer you a deal for, and you can pay a hundred dollars to a charity of your choice, and you have to agree not to protest anymore." And Dave said, "No." Um, now, everyone else that had been arrested during that time period, they'd all they had all accepted um, this deal where they pay a hundred dollars to the charity of their choice, essentially getting it on their record that they've done something wrong. Dave said, no, I'm actually going to fight this in court and I'm going to use the Bill of Rights. Well, Dave spent, so at this pretrial, 
and he was there for about four hours. The prosecutor says, oh, well, I don't think you're quite using the Bill of Rights correctly. And the court concurred, didn't think they were quite using it correctly. And so the, and so the court and the prosecutor began to discuss amongst themselves which charter challenge would be the best one for day freedom to take. And, um, uh, you know, they, 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 they had this conversation in front of Dave without actually involving Dave. And then towards the end, they said, well, I don't know. I think charter section seven of the would probably be, cause they literally they mentioned it and they would discuss it in detail and then they would bounce it and go to another one. And ultimately they thought, yeah, you know what? Section seven, section seven would probably be the best section to do a charter challenge under. And Dave just watched them, just watched them. And then the prosecution turns to Dave and says, uh, so, um, so how much time would you need to, to file that charter challenge? And Dave said, zero, I'm not filing a charter challenge. I'm working on the bill of rights. <laughs> and they went, Oh, so you're not going to do the charter challenge at all. And he goes, no, he says, I'm not, I don't know why you guys went through all that trouble, but I'm not doing it. It's bill of rights. So more time passed. He was supposed to go into court at the end of February, um, of this, um, this year. But right after that pretrial, he filed a motion, a notice of motion to have the case dismissed because it, because it violated his Bill of Rights. So that motion was to be heard. Um, actually, yeah, I think that motion was supposed to be heard in February. And then he got an email from the Crown. Uh, sorry, the morning of the motion, January 31st. Uh, he got an email from the Crown informing him um, that they were going to withdraw the case. So he called us and we all went on to the Zoom meeting and they just said, uh, it's not in the public interest. And so we're going to withdraw the case. So they withdrew the case. He never ended up going to court. And of course, what people need to realize is every time they withdraw one of these cases, they do it because they don't want to set precedent. They know they're going to lose. And if they read the, if they read the charge onto the record, now it's part of the record. And when you win, it becomes precedent. Mm -hmm. So by withdrawing, you don't have it on the record and there's no history of it happening. So they can't use the precedent against, but it is a win. It is very much a win. So David, Dave Freedom, he actually did legally change his name to Freedom, by the way. He got mm -hmm. his case withdrawn again. And then, and I don't remember the gentleman's name, but when I was in Ottawa, I talked to the guy who drives for James for Canada Unity. And he, I was sitting there going, um, why is Canada Unity still using the, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms? He goes, they are? And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, I don't. I use the Bill of Rights. <laughs> and I'm, this guy's a little bit older than me. And I'm going, you do? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, when did you ever do it? And he says, oh, I got busted for protesting again. It was like a year ago. And he says, and they were making deals with everyone else and everyone else was doing the charter and everyone else took the deal, but I didn't. I did the Bill of Rights. And I said, what happened? They withdrew the case. And then last week, Nick Smith, same story. He had um, he had um, uh, been charged for uh, um, protesting and he informed the court. Uh, he had court this week. And when he went to court, he, uh, he said, well, I'm going to be defending myself with the Bill of Rights. And once again, she says, well, I don't really think that's quite right. And he says, well, that's what I'm doing. And uh, she made a mention about the charter and says, no, I'm not using the charter. He said, I'm using the Bill of Rights. And she says, well, actually, you know what? Um, she said, I don't think you understand. We're withdrawing the case. It's not in the public interest to pursue you. And he was like, what? <laughs> and 
this is in the this is in the breakout room prior to the trial so he immediately contacts us and rebecca and i went on and we watched them withdraw the case so we got another win there you go they're so good at bluffing right they're right to the the end of the they're like no no this won't work this won't work and your charges are dropped yep well mostly <laughs> no no your charges are withdrawn withdrawn okay so that's that's different than dropped uh, yeah, I guess it's the same thing, but I mean, te if you want to be technical when, what they say in court is we're withdrawing the charges. Right. So the charges right. are, yeah. Mm -hmm. So just for the technical terminology. Sure. Yeah. No, I appreciate that a lot, actually. Yeah, that's good. And then, it, you know, I know this, this is a, a little bit basic, but if we go back to why to self-represent, why you're not employing lawyers, uh, Jane is a paralegal, for example, you know, uh, it, it, does she, does she go in to represent people or is yeah, she more so just training Jane, as she does? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Jane does do representation. In fact, she has been representing Kelly Hale in Jack Tuesdays. Um, and what people, they are doing an appeal right now because Jack, he didn't win his initial case. But what people need to understand is in that scenario, Kelly was not in a court of law. He was in a tribunal. And when you're dealing with a tribunal, the reality is, is the adjudicator probably has no training in law. Um, but they have a solid, solid appeal. Um, they, they're, they've ordered the transcripts. They're going to publicize the transcripts for the public record because they got the, um, they got the, uh, um, the health officer admit that, uh, there were, there was no proof of, um, transmission and whatnot. And there's also, um, uh, no enforcement. So why are we here if there's no enforcement? And they acknowledge there was no enforcement. So, I mean, there's a few other nuances to that case, but uh, yeah, I mean, Jane does represent, but depending on the case, um, we are encouraging people to try and self-represent uh, because again, knowledge is power and, and understanding and knowing the law is, is what's going to get you like, it's really truly going to put you on a, on a different level and a different plane when you're dealing with the government. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And do you think that there's really two camps out there? Some people say that uh, the system is perfect. We're just not using it. It's all there for us. And, and we just don't know. And other people say that that system is totally corrupt. Do you, do you hold either of those positions or something in between? I, I'm going to say probably something in between. Mm -hmm. um, I am with Jane Scarf and um, I, my thoughts align with Jane. The courts are ours. They belong to the people. The courts are there for the people. The government is entrusted to manage the courts, but they are there for our use and for our purpose. Um, we uh, have become so complacent and and um, with with you know holding our um, government accountable that over the generations generations we have um, slowly given away our our. Um, our freedoms in order to be taken care of and and safe and i mean here's the thing folks once you're 18 time to put on your big boy and your big girl panties and take responsibility for yourself um the government's not there to be our parents the government is there to serve us and we have become a society that wants to be cared for and taken care of by the government and personally not for me thank you i'm a big girl and i can i can take care of myself i can manage myself um, I understand I have a duty of care to people. I understand that you should not do, you, you should not intentionally do harm to other people. And I think the majority of us out there are conscientious, considerate human beings. 
Um, and I've said this before, they make laws not to keep the bad people from doing bad things. They make laws to bill the honest people. Um, and a really good example of that, how many drinking and driving laws do we have? Yet it didn't stop a woman from drinking too much and hitting my daughter in a head-on collision. Okay? Mm -hmm. The law didn't stop her from doing it. It was not a deterrent. And she almost killed my daughter. Um, yeah, God, she lived. Well, you know what? I mean, she has, she has injuries, but she is, she is not paralyzed. She is fully cognitive and she didn't die. So, I mean, and I actually drove to the accident scene. The first thing that went through my head was thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, not anger or anything. I was just so grateful to see her speak to her and, and see that she could respond uh, intelligently and see that she was able to move. Um, but, but, you know, if, if, and I'm not suggesting this by any stretch of the imagination, but if all the laws were to disappear tomorrow, I think majority of us would still want rules for certain in place. So we understand what we need to do for safety. Like we need those stop signs to know that we need to stop and make sure it's safe to proceed so we don't get hurt. Um, we also need rules to, to, so we, so we know how we should interact with each other in society but the necessity of punishing people by the by our parents aka the government not necessary um beth mm -hmm. if you were to do me harm i don't need the government to step in and and slap you on the wrist on my behalf and then be able to profit from it i'll take you um to court personally i can do that myself and it doesn't need to involve the government mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly we talked a little bit about it earlier on as well is that uh, the Bible says settle settle on the way to court if at all possible, right? Yeah. That that court is a last resort. And one of the questions I want to ask you is about, um, you know, because when people think about court process, they think about going to trial, standing before a judge, and you know, we don't actually have juries, but maybe that might be in our imagination from TV and movies and stuff like that. But from what I'm understanding now, the majority of the court process is out of court. It's all paperwork. It's filing motions and, and that kind of thing. So do you, and, and there, there's those adamant, I saw your interview with Cal Washington, for example, and he just says, stay out of the courts, right? That's his, yeah. he, he's very consistent and stay out of the courts, stay out of the courts. And so in, in a way you're, you're saying the, the opposite, no, use the system. It's here for you. Why aren't you using it? So do you want to talk about that a tiny bit? And you know what? I apologize if you can hear if you can hear, I have an, a, a desperate animal in the background. So I'm going to I'm going to just mute myself. I'm going to let you talk for a minute. I still hear you, by the way, and uh, and I'll just let you speak about that if that's all right. So I I will say to people, use the system, but and and using the system may be threatening. I hate to say this, threatening them in return. Um, but here's the thing: I actually don't want to end up in court either. Um, when so in my experience over the years, what I have been known to do is I'll do something called a promissory estoppel, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about um, in this uh, in this meeting. But um, I, again, it's a lot of paperwork in advance. It's understanding what you're doing. It's getting it set up and put together and um, and then implementing it. Um, once it's implemented, they the courts may or may not respond immediately. You hope that they will. But more often than not, they're going to drag it out as long as they can, because even if they're not going to win and they're going to end up withdrawing the case, 
um, on the day you arrive to court, uh, they're going to do it to punish you because um, they're still trying to punish you. They want to punish you and make money, but they're going to still try and punish you. So um, uh, now I'm just trying to think what else. I, I think what I might do is I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the promissory estoppel while we're waiting for Beth to come back and uh, and exactly what is that. So and I'm going to speak specifically about, about the promissory estoppel while we're waiting for Beth to come back and, uh, and exactly what is yeah. that. So and I'm going to speak specifically about I just want to make sure that wasn't me. I muted myself. <laughs> My apologies. Can you hear me? I can. I can. Yes. Uh, there I am. Back. <laughs> no okay. Sorry. Yeah, that cat is the bane of my existence. Trying real hard for a cat door right now. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. So um, yeah. So I, yeah. I, I've only actually uh, in the last ten years, I think I've actually only gone to court and fought in court once. In hindsight, I know what I did wrong and why I ended up arguing in court and and how in the every other time I've managed to avoid arguing in court. Um, and I'm going to talk about I'm going to make sort of put a little note bookmark there because I want to revisit that in a minute. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but in that case, that's when I ended up doing my charter challenge. And in hindsight, yeah, I know how I could have changed it so I wouldn't end up in court and how I could have won and all that other good stuff. But having gone through that process, having done the charter challenge, uh, having been wrongfully convicted, having had to do an appeal and all that other good stuff, it actually gave me a lot of education. I made a, I made a bunch of mistakes. I now can identify what those mistakes were. I learned from those mistakes. More importantly, it made me uh, appreciate that message that Jane Scarf was saying that night that I heard it because, I mean, she she only it only took her a minute to explain it, and I went, "Oh my God!" Because I I was because I had done it, I immediately understood what she was talking about. I mean, literally immediately understood. And that's when I started sort of hindsight's 2020, you look back and you go, okay, well, there's the mistakes I made. I made this, but I'm glad I made those mistakes because if you don't make those mistakes, you don't learn. And sometimes you'll learn a lot more when you do make a mistake. Uh, ultimately that I did win that case. And just so people know what that was about, um, because I think in my bio, it talks about frivolous charges. Mm -hmm. Um, I own some rental property and one of my rental properties had a fire back in 2016. Um, the fire started early in the morning. Uh, it, uh, it was a multi-unit building. About 50% of the units were um, uh, somehow involved in the fire. So they all had smoke damage. Um, and when we arrived at the scene, the first thing my, my husband and I did was count everybody. And once we were assured that everyone was safe and accounted for, then we started to talk to the fire department and the firefighters were putting up the uh, flames. But the there was a person there who introduced herself as um, an officer, uh, uh, an invest investigations officer working in liaison with the fire marshal for the uh, um, Barry Fire Department. And so we're like, okay, great. And so you're going to help figure out what caused this fire. Cause we were like, we want to know. Um, and she said, yeah. So while we stood there for the day and we were there for the entire day, you could hear the alarms ringing. 
And at the end of the day, you could hear the alarms chirping, chirping, meaning the batteries died because they had been ringing all day because they had been bombarded with smoke all day. That person then went into these units and every unit that had, um, that had been affected by the fire uh, had dead batteries in the smoke alarms and we got charged for dead batteries in those smoke alarms. Ooh. Yeah, that sucks. So, so, and obviously it was just a, they were looking for us to pay for the cost of putting out the fire and it wasn't fair. Mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm talking about frivolous charges people and, and why I just, you know what, leave me alone. <laughs> just mm -hmm. leave me alone. Mm -hmm. And so you were able to fight against that and. Uh... Yeah. Um, I, I did a charter challenge. I fought under my charter challenge. Um, and I was working in a court of justice and a court of justice is not even much better than a tribunal in Ontario because 70% of the justices, of the peace, uh, have no education in law, including the ding doorknob, uh, the, 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 the idiot that we had, cause he was a chartered accountant of all things, no education on law. Um, and you can tell the difference folks because in Ontario, at least, because in Ontario, the um, justice of the peace wears a green sash and a judge in superior court wears a red sash. So if you're looking at a green sash, then as soon as you see the judges, the, the, just, the, the, the court's justice's name, call it up and you can take a look at their bio. Um, uh, I've seen everything from ex-military uh, officers to chartered accountants to social workers. Like it's ridiculous. None of them have education on law. Right. And that's uh, something and, I was just yeah, going to quickly say, that's something that people assume about police, that they know the law. They don't know the law at all. That's why they just haul you away and say, well, you can deal with this later. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of the police do know parts and aspects of the law. And here's the thing, like, like someone like me, the more they work, in their job, the more they learn how law is applied and the more, the better their understanding will be, but their law will, what they understand will be what they work with and what they work with will largely be things like the criminal code of Canada or, um, the highway traffic act or, uh, trespass to property act, stuff like that. They don't want to get involved with residential tenancies act and, and they really hate getting involved with domestics, um, because they can be a bit uh, messy as well. But, uh, but, I, as I say, they tend to know some of these acts a lot better. So, and I have a brother who's actually a retired police officer. So I've been known to call him on, on occasion to say, Oh, you know, I'm having this problem. And he'll tell me what part of the criminal code. <laughs> so, oh, perfect. It's oh, not that's all. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And does that start pointing towards the difference between civil and, and criminal, which is federal, federal, right? Like as soon as you're, here, I'm just going to mute your mic for a second. As soon as you are, um, uh, citing criminal citations you, you've you've gone up to the federal level outside of the provincial jurisdiction which is considered civil and is that what you're always wanting to do is to to take it higher so i'll unmute you now so um now in ontario yeah you kind of you kind of need to tie it to the federal level um and criminal code of canada falls under section 91 of the uh, of the um constitution not the charter, but the actual constitution itself. Um, so section 91 and section 92 of the, uh, of the chart uh, of the constitution, section 91 is the federal distribution of powers and section 92 is the provincial distribution of powers. So understanding a little bit about constitutional law also helps understanding 
the other aspects of law and how you can use them in Canada. So um, police fall under uh, federal jurisdiction and, um, and uh, criminal code falls under federal jurisdiction. But we managed, it was actually Jane Scarf who figured out that you can tie the, um, the enforcement of law, not just to police, but to anyone enforcing or administrating law. Uh, through uh, Section 25 of the Criminal Code of Canada. So Section 25 of the Criminal Code of Canada is protection of people enforcing the law. And for those laymen who don't know what that means, it's their vicarious liability protection, which falls under the doctrine of respondeat superior. And I didn't pronounce that wrong. It's a Latin term, respondeat superior. So... Yeah, I actually pulled up Section 25. I heard you talking about that. And uh, I've got it here on the screen for people to see. And you were pointing out that uh, a private person can also be somebody who is authorized by law to do something in administering the law. And can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So I'm going to just, I'm just going to read it. It's mm -hmm. really self-explanatory. So first off, the title says protection of persons acting under authority. So for, again, that's vicarious liability. Um, between uh, so it's the it's the um, like liability between the employer and the employee. So uh, when you're working for an employer, if you are a driver, say for Purolator, and you're in a car accident, it was it was a genuine accident, then your employer is liable. But if you're in a car accident and it's part of road rage, and then you back up and you slam the person again, and you back up and you slam the person again, clearly you're not acting in good faith. It's not an accident, and now the liability falls onto the person. I know it's a, kind of a, um, a stretch, but it, it's a really good analogy. So Yeah, we all uh, want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally. So, yeah. so uh, under Section 25, subsection 1, everyone who is required or authorized by law to do anything in the administration or enforcement of the law. So as you can see there, it's not just enforcement, it is also administration of law. So writing a ticket for a bylaw or processing law through a court, that is administration. Um, and the people who are covered under this, A, a private person. So if a restaurant owner is enforcing a vaccine passport, now they are administrating law. And as a private person administrating law, they are because they're required or authorized by law to administrate the vaccine passport, then that private person now falls under Section 25, subsection one of the Criminal Code of Canada, and now they're into federal jurisdiction. And now that they're into federal jurisdiction, the Canadian Bill of Rights uh, applies because the Canadian Bill of Rights is a federal statute. Now, Canadian Bill of Rights for the construction of law, it only applies to um, federal law, but because of Section 25, subsection 1 of the Criminal Code of Canada, it applies to all administration and all enforcement of all law for anyone authorized by law to administer and enforce. Um, now, funnily enough, and I just stumbled on it uh, this week, or it was last week, actually, um, a peace officer, definition of a peace officer under Section 2 also happens to include, among uh, lots of things, um, uh, a justice of the peace <laughs> and judicial mm. proceedings under section 118 which is part, part 4 of the criminal code which is administration of law 
a judicial proceeding includes court of justice, but it also includes tribunals. So it's in there too. I've been finding, uh, I've been making so many more links because I've been in the criminal code so much lately. It's just mind boggling how many times you can bring something as simple as a um, uh, vaccine mandate back into the criminal code through almost every step along the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I want to just ask uh, about this word person. I, I I heard you talking to Cal about it as well. And, you know, in the legal dictionary, which doesn't seem to have a whole lot of uh, forward attention in, in the uh, court process, which is because they're all defining things as they like uh, for the circumstances. But that word really does mean corporation. It doesn't mean even even this phrase private person to some would seem like an oxymoron that there's no such thing that the person is public. Do you have anything you want to say about that um yeah i actually have no problem saying it um so funnily enough when i started into this um you know we all we all think of ourselves as people or persons um and everyone goes on about their birth certificate and you have to get your live birth certificate well you don't actually like i i have never found a need to get my live birth certificate to get my message across um what i will agree with what i will agree with is that person is a legal entity. And when you stop to think about everything we do in society from getting mortgages and and loans and credit cards to getting a job, um, that is being registered to your person. And people say, well, it's your corporate, it's your, it's your straw man. Well, I'm going to call it your legal entity or your corporate entity. That'll agree with, um, it's not a fiction. It's real. (laughs) Okay. Your person, your, your corporate person is real so don't call it a fiction um just understand what it is because the more you understand the more you'll be able to separate your person from your human living soul and be a sovereign okay um now just to add emphasis to this while i started my journey when my and my kids were much older i was going through some of the boxes where i'd taken uh when my kids were young and i'd thrown all the little memorabilia stuff you're going to sort one day later um so as i'm going through some of the boxes of my kids baby things uh and this was about 10 years ago uh i came i i I grabbed i I actually believe it or not yep i had the envelopes still from their original birth certificates and i pulled up the envelopes because in it still had some of the documentation which is why i still had the envelope and their birth certificates in ontario came from the ministry of consumer and commercial relations your corporate person Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with that. That's where their birth certificates came from. And then a couple of years later, they went and got their driver's licenses. And when they did, I said, let me see the documentation. They're having you sign. And I read the documentation. And on that documentation, there was, you know, it, there was no contract. It's just, this is who I am. And blah, blah, blah. But there was no contract. It didn't say you had to do anything, I'm, you know, by signing this. It's just more or less, here's information and here's we want your information and you pass your test. So here's your license. There was, and there was no contract. So I found that interesting too, because it was sort of neat that I was doing this journey while my kids were going through these different stages. Cause it gave me a chance to actually take a look at what, what I didn't look at when I was their age and I was signing all these documents. So mm-hmm. my driver's mm-hmm. license and stuff. <laughs> I just saw this question in the chat. Uh, How do we teach this stuff to the younger generation? We need to teach real law in school. Do you have any plans for that? It it always occurs to me that we need to start them off in kindergarten as well. 
Well, in some ways, and people don't don't shoot me. I think as parents, we almost overprotect our kids. Um, you know, I grew up in a generation, uh, and I think Beth and I are probably about the same age. Uh, we grew up in a generation where we were still playing. We were playing well after dark. <laughs> you know, hide and seek mm -hmm. was better when it was dark out. <laughs> um, you know, our our parents would teach us. They would guide us. They would send us out. And, um, and we would get into trouble. I'm sorry, we would. And, uh, um, you know, I remember quite a few times uh, get, giving and or receiving a thumping in the schoolyard, <laughs> you know, because you'd get into a fight with a kid and then you'd resolve it. And your parents didn't get involved. Once, twice, you'd get broken, it'd get broken up by the teacher. But ultimately, it was up to us kids to resolve it. Um, and we would resolve it and it's how we learned conflict resolution and, you know, and it helped us make mistakes so we could learn from them because at the end of the day, life's not perfect and life's not tidy and it's not neat. We have to make mistakes. We have to also realize that life's not fair. Yes, we all want equality, but the only place we're ever really going to tr truly get equality is before the law and protection of the law. In all other things in life, there will not be true quality because for instance i'm never going to swim like michael phelps he has a different body structure from me different strengths he has different talents and i will um i will never go to the moon because i have <laughs> asthma and stuff right um but there there are things that i can't space is do. fake <laughs> yeah yeah there, I, there's things i will never be able to do because i but I have my own gifts and it's identifying my gifts and working with the gifts that I have and being appreciative of the gifts that I have. Um, so I think, again, you know, I, some people aren't as tall as me. I'm not as tall as other people. Life's not fair. We just need to understand that, you know, not everything's going to be equal and fair. It's what we make of our gifts that make the difference. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. then as far as the kids go, the best thing we can do for our kids is we need to start teaching our kids. We need to start taking responsibility for our kids. It was not an easy choice um, when uh, when my husband and I were first starting to have kids. I've been self-employed my entire life. Uh, my husband uh, had his own business. And rather than go out into the workforce, I worked for my husband. It allowed me, uh, and it was, a, it was a decision we had to make together. We didn't make as much money, but at the same time, I was able to stay home with the kids until they went to school and then I would go to work and then I would leave work and I would be home or pick the kids up from school. And then after that, we were doing, you know, everything from swimming, hockey, soccer, and all that other stuff that parents do. Um, but the point is, is we, and it's not, not every family can do it. And I understand that, but it's, it's prioritizing what is important and teaching your kids these types of lessons I think they have to start at home. And if you have a strong community that is like-minded, it takes a community to raise a child. So hopefully you can find other like-minded people and you can, you can share your knowledge amongst your community and amongst their kids. And then understand you're going to need to let your kids make mistakes. Um, and I know a lot of parents mm -hmm. are like, there's so much, and I just want to add this, Beth. I know there's mm -hmm. a lot of parents who are like, but I don't want my, I'm afraid my kids going out and getting hurt and getting um, you know, attacked and stuff. And I understand that I really do, but I, and I had this conversation with uh, shade actually on Sunday. And I said to shade, 
you know, here's the tough thing um, for parents to understand is that if evil is lurking around the corner, there's nothing we can do to stop it. And we can only trust in God. Um, I myself uh, was strangled at the age of five by a 12 year old boy who left me for dead. Oh, um, and his intent was to kill me. Now, just so people understand how and how serious this young man was, he actually did kill somebody. He killed his stepmother a year later by shooting her six times in the head. He got, you know, so, I mean, it, 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 it's a really true story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the point is, is that, yep, I could have died that day. And, and again, I got lucky by the grace. I, I did not die. Um, but that, that type of evil has always existed. I'm not a young woman. Um, and yeah, we definitely can do things to try and protect our kids, you know, make sure that they play in the backyard and stuff. But for God's sake, get them away from the TV, get them away from the game box. I mean, when my kids were growing up, they weren't allowed a cell phone until they got into a high school period. They just weren't. Um, they weren't even allowed calculators until they got into high school. Cause I was just that kind of a mom. I made them learn to use their brains to do, and they had to learn, their multiplication and their addition and stuff um, through practice and repetition. Like we were drilled as kids. So I actually put my kids in a program called Kumon and I'm not, and I'm sorry, I'm digressing. I, I realize, but it is, <laughs> it's okay. it is kind of, it, it is kind of involved. Like you, it, it gets integrated. You learn this stuff because we were, our curriculums in the schools are designed to make us do things in a certain way. And if we, if we unplug from the TV and we start educating ourselves and we start practicing this material, we're just naturally going to share it with our kids and our kids are going to learn from us. And my kids are certainly learning from me. Um, and, and also you set um, a habit in your home that if you've unplugged from these, these devices um, to spend more time engaging your mind and whatnot, your kids are going to do the same, although they may not necessarily be engaging their mind in schoolwork and whatnot. They'll be outside playing with their friends, but even better, they're outside playing and they're mm-hmm. creative and they're exploring the world and they're they're having you know having interactions with other people. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Absolutely. <clears throat> uh, so let's see where to go. I'd like to um, just talk about the the difference between the private and the public and to clarify something that to go into court process, you need to be that corporate entity. Do you not? You, or you need to lead with that? You don't No. So private man or woman. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's really good to know. So what would you, what would you do? Do you, and, and do you have the choice? You can do one or the other. Um, you know, if you, I, you, you do have, I think personally, I think you have a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because when I started out my promissory estoppels, uh, I didn't define myself as a private, um, sovereign living human soul. I do that now. Um, I didn't then I, I did understand, I did understand about the private person. Um, and it didn't impact me because I also understood a lot more about contract law. Um, because that's where I was doing a lot of my research was contract law. So, uh, yeah, I honestly, I don't think you have, you, you can, you can define yourself as a private sovereign human living soul. I know Cal has some issues with human. I don't necessarily agree with him on that. And I've done some additional research. I know he got it out of a singular, um, uh, law dictionary from the 1600s, 
the information I got goes back much further. So uh, here's the question I now have. Um, you know, the older the information, the more accurate it tends to be. And how how often have I seen documents like the Bible being rewritten and rewritten and the chain and the context and meaning changes? So, for instance, I always use the old King James Version Bible because it is very relevant and prevalent in law. Mm -hmm. um, and I had someone send me Ephesians chapter six uh, a couple of weeks ago and verse five. Well, the whole thing was um, was. Uh, distorted, but they sent it to me from the New International Version. That's what they call it, the New International Version. And I'm, and I'm reading chapter six, and I was like, oh my God, this is just evil and it's sinister. And then I'm looking at New International Version again, and I'm like, New World Order. <laughs> Sorry. Mm -hmm. but, and, and I could probably call it up really quickly. Um, yes, please. Go ahead. So bear with me one second, because I'll just, I'll read you verse five. I'll read you two verse fives and you will be able to see for yourself the difference mm -hmm. um, between the two verses. But as I say, the one was just very, very, like the one was very uh, lovely and the other one was um, uh, very sinister. So the, the, the version he sent me, um, which was from the New International Version Bible, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter six, verse five, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Okay. Yeah. Now that's very like, it's th those are very definitive words. First they're using the word slaves. Then they're saying you obey your earthly masters. There's no, it's just you obey and a story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, but the new, uh, sorry, the old King James version, Ephesians chapter six, verse five, it says servants be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. You can see how vastly different those two are. Um, in, and what do you in, see is the difference? Well, I mean, for starters, it's servants, not slaves. Mm -hmm. Be obedient to them that are your masters. So whoever is employing you at the time, be obedient to them. But you, but it doesn't say outright obey, because there may be times that you have to challenge your boss. Um, if 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 they're asking you to do something that's that is against God, then you you're not going to obey out blindly. The one is like a blind where it says obey your earthly masters that's a blind do as you're told. Whereas the other mm -hmm. one is it's be obedient to them that are your masters pointing at the fact that your masters may change over time. Your masters being your employer for, as a very good example, or your parents, if you're under the age of 18 and those masters are the masters according to the flesh. So, so the only person you're going to obey is God. Everyone else, you may be obedient to them, but that doesn't mean you must obey them. And those masters may change as your employers change, but you'll only ever have one God. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it just, it just yeah. is a bit of a breakdown. I hope that helps a little. 
Um, yeah, what occurs to me also is that when you're a slave, you were maybe stolen into slavery 100% against your own will. Whereas when you go to get a job and you're a servant in, in, a, in a company, you've made a choice to be there. And so if you start to write, I was actually telling my, my son about a job I got fired from in Mexico, and uh, I, I won't go into a lot of detail about it, but I could see where I went wrong. I chose them as my employer, and then I started to um, uh, oppose them and their, and their ways. Well, what did they do? Fire me, right? So of, of course they did. That, that's, just, that's just logical. And, um, you know, they're, they're not the tyrant over me, but they are, they are, um, I, yeah. And just, just to point out the, the actual choice there. Yeah. And I think it's worth mentioning too, that with slavery, you don't, you don't get compensated, um, for your work. And, and when the day is done, you don't have your freedom. You can't go off and do what you want. Um, as a, when you're, when you're serving an employer, AKA a servant, you're getting compensation. Um, and mm -hmm. they don't own all your time. You, the, you know, beyond work, the time is yours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Mr. Mustard Bear, nice to see you. I haven't seen you for a while. He said the definition of bond servant is very important as well. Do you want to say anything about that? Nope. Okay. No, then we'll not, let, not, uh, a term, not a term that I, I, I've really delved into and studied because it hasn't been relevant to the things that I do. So I, I don't sure. go there. Sure. And just quickly, since it, uh, I brought it up, a bond servant is a person obligated to serve without wages. Nothing with this is relevant to equity or contracts. So I guess that's the distinction he was making there. Um, there was uh, Jacqueline Mill. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Because it's not relevant to equity and contracts. And what I focus on is equity and contracts. <laughs> There you go. You're, so you're on the same page. And uh, Jacqueline Milne, welcome to the stream. She's asking, where is the information or the recognition and acknowledgement of contract law in Canada? Now, are you talking specifically in the Bible, Jacqueline? I'm just wondering if that's your subject there. And maybe I'll wait to hear from you about that. And so since contract law is your uh, contract law and equity, right, is your is your subject, do you want to give a basic definition of that for, I, I know a lot of people here already know, but I love to hear people's basic definitions to see where you're coming from with it. Um, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I, we are about, we will be, uh, this is, we're doing the soft launch tonight of the promissory estoppel. We're going to upload um, a promissory estoppel I've done for parking tickets. Um, and I'm going to do a tutorial on it. Am I going to be as in depth as I probably could be? No. And I'm going to explain why I, um, I belong to a group and, um, we have to be very careful about what we release, but at the end of the day, those who are really clever are going to figure out all, all the things that I'm leaving out, <laughs> but I do have to be careful about how much I put out there, even though I'm trying to share my education. So, uh, with the promissory estoppel, there are a lot of people who got parking tickets, myself included in Ottawa. And oh, this yes. is mine. Okay. Actually I got two of them. The other one I didn't, didn't get a copy of and but there's my, uh, copy. <laughs> Apparently I've, you know, I've only got a few days now. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to fight this and I'm going to fight this one as well. And I'm going to use the promissory estoppel and, what the promissory estoppel essentially is, and it is to say, where's the contract? Um, so we were there on a peaceful protest. We had a legal right to protest. 
the legal right to protest is recognized and protected under sections 1A, B, D, E, and F of the, of the uh, Canadian Bill of Rights. Um, I won't spend a lot of time delving into what those are because uh, I know you guys have talked a lot about the Bill of Rights in the past. It also is protected under sections 137 of the Courts of Justice Act, um, where the Courts of Justice Act acknowledges uh, that when there's a matter of public interest, people have the right to protest. And so it's an exception to, I can't remember what the section actually speaks to, but it's an exception to punishing people because when, it's, um, when it has to do with public interest, they don't wanna discourage protesting because that's how change happens. It's also acknowledged under sections 83.0.1.1, uh, no, sorry, 2E <laughs> of definitions um, with respect to terrorism. So there's a lot of things that are considered terrorist acts and you heard um, some of these uh, uh, politicians in Ottawa trying to call this domestic terrorism but under section 83.0.1, yada, 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 uh, it acknowledges an exception, the exception being protesting for mm. a matter of public interest. Mm. So there's a lot of law there in place that protects what the truckers were doing, which we talk about in the promissory estoppel. So, and then we point out that, you know, by running out and giving us these parking tickets, and I'm giving you just a synopsis of what the promissory estoppel says, but running out and giving these parking tickets, you're um, harassing us and assaulting us. In, a sense, in essence, you're using, you're uttering threats, uh, you leave or I'm going to write you a ticket, and then when we don't, you try to extort us by writing the ticket. By writing the ticket and asking for, in this case, $110 and $130 if I don't pay by a certain date, you're now assaulting us because depriving us of our property without due process of law and taking money out of our pockets, which could be used towards food or shelter, is assault. It's indirect assault, which falls under the Criminal Code of Canada. So uttering threats is, is contrary to the Criminal Code. Extortion is contrary to the Criminal Code. Um, uh, assault is contrary to the Criminal Code. But also, this is a visual optic. So when you see these police and the bylaw officers and they're walking down the street and they're taking away jerry cans or they're handing out these parking tickets, um, that is a visual optic for the media to 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 photograph so the rest of the world can see that these people are are being um, charged by the police or harassed by the police because they're doing something wrong it's meant to make it look like we're doing something wrong even though we weren't doing anything wrong at all so that visual optic sets us apart and for those and for those who's uh, and again they're with that being set apart they're doing it to to continue to create and drive fear. So those who are still being affected by the fear that's being created, um, they are um, uh, they are starting to react to us. And, and, and so it, some of us, myself included, we had our cars egged. Some people had their trucks spray painted. Um, yes. Some people were verbally assaulted. Now, this was not common. More often than not, I had people from Ottawa coming up and hugging me and and breaking down in tears saying, please don't leave and thank you so much for being here. Wow. And it would tear your heart out. Um, but you would get the odd zealot. They were just, they were absolutely impossible. I remember driving home from Ottawa uh, for uh, just to go wish my, like to spend my son's birthday with him. And uh, I don't know if you can still hear me. Yes, it can. Yeah, just a okay, little frozen. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, 
on the way back from Ottawa, uh, yeah, I'm, we were driving through um, Carlton Place, and some little granny flipped us the bird because we had <laughs> Canadian flags on the car. Oh, <laughs> and, really? um, and it was like, since when did the Canadian flag become a, a symbol of hate? It was just exactly. So and then walking down the street in Ottawa one day, um, a little lady, uh, I, I had no muzzle on, and she literally left the sidewalk. I thought she was going to cross the street. Nope, she stopped in the middle of the road and stared at me, just actually glared at me until I passed her. And then she came back to the sidewalk and kept walking. And I'm like, holy cow. But that was the exception. It was not the norm. Mm -hmm. and, but this visual optic, that's what it does. So with that all said, we then point out all the things that they're doing. And then we say to them, we want a copy of the contract that says that we had to perform under, in this case, it's bylaw section 217-301 dash 13 subsection one. So show me the contract that I had to perform under this um, because right now this is a bill in commerce. They're asking for money. So it's a negotiable instrument. And if you can't show me the contract, um, uh, then I'm going to also accuse you of forgery and fraud. Mm -hmm. Now under section 366, and this is something I've always used in my promissory estoppels under section 366 of the Criminal Code of Canada, a document that is used or acted on as genuine, it, which is in fact a false document, is forgery under the Criminal Code of Canada. And it's also fraud. So I say to them, I want this. But when I do the promissory estoppel, and this is something I've always done, I, um, I, I say to them, so if you can show me the contract um, that I signed knowingly, willingly, and without ambiguity, then absolutely, I will agree that I failed to perform under this um, bylaw. And I'll, I, I think for this promissory estoppel, I said, I'll give you 10 bucks. <laughs> I'll give you 10 cents on the dollar. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why the money, folks, is you have to offer consideration. Now, you could make it a dollar, but mm -hmm. you know what? Hey, I'm feeling really generous. I'll give you 10 bucks because I know you're not going to come up with the contract. I really don't care. And um, mm -hmm. this is, uh, I have a promissory estoppel signed here. It's not for the parking ticket. It's actually for another matter. And I'm, I'm not going to go too closely, but I have, it's an affidavit. So I don't know how I'll you just can do. see this. It's an yeah, affidavit. Give me, give me a second. I'll take the banner down so we can see better. And if you hold it yeah, a little further up in the camera, we'll be I'm able to see it better. A name there. You just hold <laughs> so. it, hold it up. And, well, I don't uh, want to. Um, there's, there's oh, you don't want to see. I got it. There's private. Oh, yeah. So oh, we're not really seeing it, but. Uh, you're not really seeing it, but I've written an affidavit and okay. give me a second. Um, it, in the affidavit, and I'm just going to, again, I'm just trying to protect some of the information. For sure. It it labels the information and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this from the screen so I know I can see it. So it tells you how many pages it is and it tells you page two and what what's page two identifies. It's a letter to this fellow here. Page three, four, five of 20 pages is a copy of the summons to appear. Um, page six, seven, eight, and nine is a statement of the events. Page 10, 11 is evidence um, reporting, uh, supporting the statement of events. Page 12 and 13 is evidence supporting the statement of events. Page 14 is the conditional acceptance, which is my promissory estoppel. I've also thrown in there the Canadian Bill of Rights and the section 366 of the Criminal Code of Canada. And then mm -hmm. what happens is this is sworn and affirmed to uh and it says all rights reserved without prejudice recognizing the supremacy of god and the rule of law 
All statements are made of facts, are not meant to mislead. Notice to principal is notice to agent. Notice to agent is notice to principal. So if you go to the court services desk and you get a secretary or, or a court clerk who who you hand it to, get your stamp. If you hand it to them, it's cons and they're considered an agent of the prosecution's office. So if you hand it to them, it's considered served to the prosecutor. And then it says included attachments to form part of the affidavit. And that list of things that I showed you, um, those attachments form part of the affidavit, which means they all become part of the affidavit. I, it then gets sworn by the person who's who's swearing it. it's not mine. That's why I'm redacting the information. And then the commissioner signs it. Um, so what happens is when you sign this document, it becomes a true bill in commerce. So when you ask for the contract, the proof of the contract in return, um, what you're saying is they have they have to respond in kind. Um, you've heard of so in in our system, um, we we are uh, based our law system is based on evidentiary. Um, it's an evidentiary system. It's based on evidence. Mm-hmm. So, and then you, uh, you see the, 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 the lady of justice, she's blind and she has two scales. So if you have an opinion and I have an opinion, the opinions are equal, the, 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 the case goes nowhere. Okay. If you're making a claim, Beth, and you have two opinions and I have one opinion, the, the scales tip in your favor because it's balance and you win. Now, if you have an, if you have two opinions, but I have a belief we're back to being equal. Okay. But if you have two beliefs, but I have one fact backed by evidence, the evidence makes it fact. I win. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so now when you take that and you swear it under an affidavit, you've now taken it out of the hands of the court and you put it before God. Right. You're swearing that affidavit, but you're also submitting that to the court, right? Like just having that affidavit doesn't do anything by itself. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mm-hmm. submit it in this case. I, I, and so for the promissory estoppel for the parking tickets, a copy of it will go to the file officer who wrote the ticket. A co- copy of it will go to the Ontario court of justice. That's labeled on the ticket uh, or for that region. And then a copy of it will go to be filed. So you serve the two agents and then you file it with the court services. Also the one for that region. And, um, and then you keep a copy for yourself. So you mm-hmm. serve all that. Now, when I did my fire department, I did all that. What was the difference? I didn't put in a conditional acceptance. Mm-hmm. So I swore all the information and I went into court and I argued my charter challenges and where's the contract and where's this and where's that? Because mm-hmm. when you get into court, court is an adversarial system. And even though I had done everything under affidavit and it was done correctly and I could prove my entire case. Again, I was dealing with an idiot, uh, an idiot court. And I have no problem saying that the guy was an idiot. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, he kept following the lead of the prosecution and she kept, she kept refuting all my arguments with conjecture. She didn't produce any evidence to negate what I was saying. And he was too stupid to understand that my evidence supported with facts sworn under affidavit was actually greater than her conjecture. Um, and again, I was kind of, I was a lot more novice. I'd never actually truly argued in court at that point in my life. So um, there's a lot of things in hindsight that I now realize I would have done di- differently. Like, but at the end of the day, every one of my charter challenges, even though I won them uh, in law were all um, dismissed as 
not relevant. So they, they all fell flat on the court. So then the court went in and he proceeded to, or he had the, he had the clerk read the charges on the record. And then they said to me, how do you plead? And I said, well, <laughs> here's the thing. I know that you've dismissed my charter challenges, but they have not, um, in, as far as I'm concerned, uh, they have not been spoken to by the prosecution because the prosecution has not produced any evidence to negate my, my evidence. Um, so at the moment, I, I can't plead. I don't know how to plead because I still don't understand the charges. I can't plead to something I don't understand. And the court says, well, you need to tell me if you're guilty or not guilty. And I said, I cannot tell you if I'm guilty or not guilty if I don't understand the charges. Mm -hmm. I don't understand if I'm guilty because I don't understand the authority that you guys are claiming over me. And the court then said to, uh, said to the clerk, let the record reflect the defendant says not guilty. Now, in hindsight, oh, God. in hindsight, I would have handled that differently. And I'm not going to speak to how I would have handled that differently today because I, that's where I start to cross that line that I've been asked not to cross. But um, ultimately, when he did that, um, he put me into the adversarial system. And now I'm arguing court. Uh, now I'm arguing a case. Um, and uh, when I filed my motion, I filed my motion. I actually filed four charter challenges. So when I, when I filed my appeal, I filed my appeal on the four charter challenges and on the decision based on five errors in law. Uh, and what was really interesting is that my factum um, actually says that I am arguing four motions and the decision. And, and then when I got into court, I argued, uh, I did a brief summary argument verbally on my four submissions, my four charter challenge motions and my error in law. And when I got the written order, which um, uh, uh, my appeal was allowed and the conviction was overturned, um, the court ruling only, the court ruling repeatedly said that I submitted three charter challenges and um, and one court error and spoke briefly to all three charter challenges in the court error, but chose the weakest of all the arguments to give me my appeal. I'm not going to tell you what one they left out, but it speaks volumes to me. The fact that they deliberately left it out speaks volumes to me that I'm right. They don't want it. They didn't want it on the record. Right, right. There you go. Well, that's good. Thank you for sharing that. I totally appreciate it. Um, I'd like to jump over and talk about something that's been on our plates these days. I don't know if you're familiar with an organization in the states called Bonds for the Win. If you've come across that, so it's a uh, system of recognizing that public and appointed officials are all bonded. In fact, pretty much everybody in society is bonded. You know, a company that uh, that works for, or say you work for a uh, a cleaning company, and you might not be personally bonded, but your company's bonded, so that if you go into somebody's house and steal from them, then there's some kind of uh, insurance in place to make sure that you know everybody stays in line. And so, bonds for the win is helping to bring people's attention to these these bonds and and it's a way for them to actually not do court process because they say hey we're going to make a complaint against your bond 
And because it is uh, in the in the realm of of a of a criminal complaint, you're not ever going to be able to work again in this capacity and get that insurance. And so, uh, sorry, I've got you muted just for a second for the feedback. And and then um, what I notice is that it's it is working a lot in the U.S. But I'm wondering if it's because Canadians, you know, they're a litigious society. We are not. I still don't know anyone other than you and in these past two years that had sued anybody, right? That's just a, not a normal part of our of our daily Canadian life. And so I think that they're they're going to take the threat much more seriously, whereas we are actually, I'm guessing, going to have to file uh, the criminal complaint first in order for, no, okay, you're shaking your head. I'll let you talk now. <laughs> oh, sorry. One more sec. Oh, sorry. This is, ugh, something keeps happening there. Uh, here we go. So it's because, um, so I, I, I have not managed to figure out whether or not we have these bonds in Canada for Canadian citizens. Um, and there are similarities between the American system and the Canadian system, but a lot of people need to understand that that just because there's similarities doesn't mean you can apply the American system in Canada. So a lot, a lot of the issue I have with people who, um, quote, say they're using common law, but then don't use common law is because they're quoting admiralty law, they're quoting maritime law, they're quoting, you know, from commercial code, when what they should be studying is Canadian law. So I'm, I'm not so focused on bonds, but I'm... I, you know what? You don't need to be focused on bonds. And, and this is great because I wanted to plug two more things and this is perfect. So um, for those of you who have potentially seen me on Facebook, um, on my Facebook page and also on the Stand for the Facebook page, if you go back to January 30th, I recorded and uploaded a video where three police officers refused us entry to an en route um, on the highway 401 in Mallorytown unless we put on a mask. I was with Rebecca Shepard and um, I knew, okay, we got a little colorful in the language, uh, we being Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> but it, and it doesn't matter. These officers were trespassing us. We had not been trespassed by the owner. They were on-duty officers working as public service, being paid for by taxpayers, and they were trespassing us discriminately. In other words, if we put on a muzzle, they would let us in. And if we didn't, then they, they wouldn't let us in. End of story. And I mean, I, I people need to understand just how, how intensely serious that is. Um, so I am in the middle right now of drafting three small claims lawsuits, one for each of these officers, I call them, I actually have two nicknames for them. Um, one, so the, I either refer to them as Huey, Louie and Dewey, or I refer to them as Larry, Daryl and Daryl because two of those officers were brothers. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. Um, so, and Larry was the lead on it. So uh, anyhow, so whether I'm, so if you hear me talking about Larry, Daryl and Daryl and you know who I'm talking about. So I'm, <laughs> I intend to sue Larry for $35,000. I intend to sue Daryl for $35,000 and I intend to sue the other Daryl for $35,000 mm -hmm. and Rebecca is going to sue Larry for $35,000 and she's going to sue Daryl for $35,000 and she's going to sue the other Daryl for $35,000 and we're each going to, so that'll be a total of six lawsuits filed and each of these guys are going to receive two lawsuits, one from each of us and 
in the lawsuits we're going after them for violation of our uh, section one Canadian Bill of Rights, violation of section two, uh, sorry, section 1A of the Canadian Bill of Rights, section 1B of the Canadian Bill of, Bill of Rights. We're also um, uh, going after them for assault, uh, contrary to the Criminal Code of Canada, um, because they, they try to force us against our will. That is in direct assault, followed, followed, um, which is supported under R versus UN Chuck. So I'm using two authorities there. It is also uttering threats. Um, it is uh, extortion. It is public incitement of hatred. And uh, that's one, two, three, four, five. Six. There was one more in there because we literally pulled our notice of liability into real time and we basically educated them. And we said, if you don't let us in within the next minute, we will sue you. And we've got it all on video. Um, and they still refused, not, they still denied us entry. So I am in the process of drafting up that lawsuit. And um, then Rebecca said to me, well, someone else tried to do a small claim suit, but they had troubles because they don't know where these people live. And I said, well, here's the thing. We actually don't need to know where someone lives. And she goes, yeah, well, yes, you do. And I said, well, starters, don't file the darn thing online. I said, but let me tell you a story, Rebecca, and I'm going to tell it to you now, Beth. Um, several years ago, my husband, who's, who's a retired contractor, he was hired by somebody we knew. We'd, um, uh, we had a uh, we had had a previous business relationship with them and they hired us on a time and materials basis to do a little bit of work on their cottage on, on Lake Simcoe. So we knew the cottage address and we went up and he sent his, uh, he sent his employees up there and he sent his Mason up there and, and bought a bunch of materials. And in short, the, the, the invoice was $10,000. And um, I sent the invoice off, confirmed that the guy got the invoice, talked to him on the phone once or twice, and then he stopped taking, and he said, yep, I'm going to pay you, I'm going to pay you, and then I, and then he stopped taking my calls, wouldn't respond to my emails, and fell off the face of the planet. He was not going to pay me. Um, just a little fun story on the back, back side of that is he actually ended up hiring our foreman. <laughs> he had hired our foreman, who was using our truck, our fuel, our tools to continue the work. <laughs> And he was getting paid, but we weren't. So it's not that there was an issue with the quality of the work because he was using our foreman, who was the guy running the job in the first place. So it was a it was a real end, it was a real end runaround on us um, because he just essentially wanted to steal from us. So uh, I put together a lawsuit against this guy for small claims court. I took the invoice and because it was time and materials, the invoice was itemized. So for every item on that invoice, I, if I bought material, I, I did a copy of the invoice that backed the, the material statement. Um, the, uh, the uh, money we paid to the employees, I did two things. I pulled out the hour sheets from the employees and um, the checks. And I also asked every one of my employees to swear an affidavit saying that, yes, those are the hours that they worked. And yes, that they got paid for those hours. I touched all of that, the affidavit, the hour sheets and the pay stubs. So that's the evidence to prove that I did the same thing with my Mason, um, got my Mason to swear an affidavit, canceled check stub and the invoice showed that it was actually done. And when I, so I had all this evidence to support the invoice because I didn't have a contract folks didn't have to have a contract. We had implied contract and I was able to support the invoice 100% with evidence. Then I wrote my statement of events. Then I filled out my application for small claims court. I used the address that I knew, which was not the address of service. The address I knew was the was the um, uh, was the cottage. And after I had that all done, just like the affidavit I showed you earlier, I wrote an affidavit where I said includes the attachments to form part of the affidavit, and I had each page page itemized. So 
the whole thing then becomes an affidavit. And I swore the whole thing that became a true bill in commerce. I went and filed that at small claims court. And after it was filed with small claims court, I drove up to the cottage and just by dumb luck was that guy not there. And I had a third person with me. So I, I was able to get a picture of the service and the, the independent third party did the service. So there was no conflict of interest. And I was, and um, afterwards I went and served the affidavit of service, attached a copy of the picture. So it's irrefutable. Um, and I thought that would be the end of it. He had 30 days. It's been a while. I want to say it was 30. He had 30 days to respond. It could be wrong. It could be 45 in any rate you get an additional 15 days. And when I didn't get a response at all, I then went to the court and I filed for a default judgment. And I think it took me about two weeks, but I got the default judgment and now it's trying to get the enforcement, but I don't have the banking information. And I kept following the rules of the court to get the banking information, but because I didn't have his legal address of service, the court made it clear to me that they weren't going to let me lean the house um, until I got him into court physically. So it took me three years of hunting, but I found him. And I got the greatest picture of the dumbest look on his face when I caught him and served him. And at which point I, he, I ended up getting him into court. And uh, I was smart enough because um, my invoices had terms and the terms being interest on the invoice. Uh, so when I got them into court, um, took another, I, 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 we had a few things paperwork wise to do. I had to ask a bunch of legal, uh, uh, financial questions, which I did. And then, um, they were supposed to answer the questions. And when they got my list of questions, which was very invasive, uh, as to his financial dealings, um, I got a phone call from his law, my, the, the guy's law firm and said, uh, where, where are you located? Why? Cause we're dropping a check off tomorrow. So the, I, got a hundred percent of my claim, which was $10,000 plus all the interest. So when I got my check three years later, it was $17,000. And my point of the story is, is you don't need to know where the person lives. You just need to know where you can find them initially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As long as you serve them in person, the address of service is irrelevant. There you go. And you wouldn't need a professional process server. You could do that independently makes but great if you can take an independent third party with you but mm -hmm. definitely record it because if you record it like the second time i served him i was alone um and uh so i took like i again i had my camera ready and i got a picture of him and and he he he's just got the goofy <laughs> <laughs> it was fun it was fun all i can say was it was fun the girls gotta have fun somehow eh? right so <laughs> So if you know where to find them and you know how to identify them, you can serve mm -hmm. them. Okay. And if, and if you serve them a true bill in commerce, there's the scales of justice. Again, they have to respond. They have to refute your evidence under affidavit. If they just give you evidence, but it's not supported under an affidavit, then it's actually kind of meaningless. Um, mm. And mm. the reason why it's so important to do it under affidavit is um, because you can, if it's not true, you're not going to swear it because if it's not true and you're caught acting in bad faith, it could be, it could be 14 years in prison because it's perjury. But here's the thing. I may tell the truth. I may be acting in good faith and I may say the sky is blue. Here's a picture of a blue sky. 
and it's sworn under an affidavit. And then Beth can turn around and say, well, no, the sky is black. And here's a picture of the black sky. <laughs> and you, but if you don't swear it under an affidavit, my affidavit wins. Mm. So you need to swear it off under an affidavit. So now they're balanced. Yeah. And if we both, and if we both swear, it just goes away because they cancel each other out. Right. And we can both be acting in good faith and we can both be telling the truth. The evidence is just a different perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but then if you turn around and, and you say that the sky is, um, I don't know, some green, <laughs> for mm -hmm. instance, and the sky is clearly not green. Well, then um, obviously, and you know, you may say, well, the sky is green. Here's the evidence. But you're, you won't swear it under an affidavit because you know it's not true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Under threat of perjury, like you said. Yeah. So you have to swear it under. So if I'm submitting my evidence under affidavit, you have to do it after under affidavit. And what's really key here is that by doing it under affidavit, and this is where that court went wrong. He was ultra virus multiple times um, when I was in that small, uh, when I was in the court of justice for the fire department, especially when he submitted a plea on my behalf, um, because he wasn't weighing the justice. Uh, he wasn't weighing the evidence properly um, because he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand the principles of law. And if he did understand it, he would understand that you can't just dismiss something that's sworn under an affidavit because it's sworn before God. And and so it's actually taking it out of the hands of the court. But had I done a promise, a, a conditional acceptance, which is the promissory estoppel, mm -hmm. had I said, had I added that little extra little document that says, you know what, I tell you what, I will agree that I failed to perform under the Fire Prevention and Protection Act to maintain all this uh, under section whatever. Uh, and I'll even give you 10 bucks. There you go. I'll give you 10 bucks if you can prove to me how I was bound to the Fire Prevention and Protection Act. Show me the contract that I signed knowingly, willingly, and without ambiguity. And if you can do that, and you can do it under affidavit, then you win because I've promised something. So be, so I didn't do that with Fire Prevention and Protection Act, but I've done that with other things. And uh, and I'm doing that with the parking ticket. And uh, and so with the parking ticket, if we get before court and, and I've promised, I've already promised to admit to guilt if you can prove, if they ignore that promise, because the whole point is I'm trying to stay out of the adversarial court. So if they ignore that, and they try to get me to argue it in the court of man. Well, they're now ultra virus because I've made a promise before God. So who are you to say, well, you know, I'm here. You need to argue to me. No, 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 I don't. I promised to God. So you want me to, you want me to follow through on that promise and you better show me your evidence and you better swear it before God, because if you don't, I don't give a crap and neither mm -hmm. does God. <laughs> well said. I like that. So unfortunately, I'm starting to run out of time. And uh, do you, if, if you are open to it, would you read book with me to uh, just because we've Absolutely. been on for more than two hours already and uh, a few Can things are backing up you? Two minutes tops. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have one question that came up earlier, too. So uh, if, if, if you don't mind, if I go back to that, you go ahead with your two minutes first. So I, I know I've kind of dragged this on, folks, and I do apologize. I, I do love to talk though sometimes. So I've talked about the fact that Rebecca and I are suing Huey, Dewey, and Louie. But here's the thing. Once we get that sorted out and we get that off and running, we're then going to draft one more lawsuit. 
and I want as many Canadians as possible. Once we get it drafted, we're going to upload it. And it's up to you whether or not you want to jump on board and you can do it from anywhere in Canada because wherever you live is where it's, where it's happening to you. Omar Agrabah, the Minister of Transportation, he is responsible for these vaccine passports to be able to fly and ride on trains federally. So we're going to sue him. We're going to sue him for violating their rights. We're going to sue him. We're going to sue his pants off for assault, extortion, uttering threats, public incitement of hatred. And the idea is we're going to, um, as quickly as we can, understand we're, we're helping so many people. It's it's hard sometimes to get all this stuff written. And there's not we don't really know a lot of people who we can offload this to. But as soon as we can put it all together, we're going to put the template out there and we're going to set a date. And we're going to say, okay, everyone get it get you know here's one week get your ducks in a row find your commissioner get it all filled out and in one week get it get it filed anytime we don't care but on on date date x um send it off to agrabah uh, omar we're gonna we're gonna serve him all in the same day now if you're serving them by registered mail that's fine if you're serving them um, I will probably do a combination of fax and registered mail um, be, mm-hmm. uh, and I keep a copy for myself. But the point is, is if we can, if it's, if it's one person, great. If it's a hundred people, even better. A hundred times 35,000 is what? 350,000, <laughs> 3.5 million. Count me you in. Get 1, people, you get 10,000 people. What if we get a million people? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way you think, Amanda. So honestly, this brings tears to my eyes, right? Because we've been, I don't want to say waiting and some people are studying really hard and and been doing stuff and I've been doing stuff way out of my comfort zone. But, uh, and and somebody asked me last night, like, who who would you point to as a champion in Canada? And I'm like, um, Amanda, like in terms of, you know, you guys in Stanford, the actually getting results, doing stuff, showing the proof of the work it's on the other side. And uh, I just have so much respect for your courage. This, the theme of this interview was going on the offense. And this is the thing, like when, when, you know, that you don't wait for that perpetrator to land on your doorstep and be you know, holding a gun to your head or your child's head, right? This is, this, this is when we, we start to turn the tables on, on people. And uh, I so welcome uh, another opportunity to speak with you at length on, in an interview like this for the benefit of others. And then this one question, I just don't want to uh, let it go by because it came a, a while back. So, so it, uh, in our system now with the government and the legal system, where do we learn about the recognition and the importance of contracts? Um, you know what? I mean, for me, I, 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 I'm trying to think about how I did it. I mean, I started doing it because I started asking questions and it started me down the Freeman on the land. And I was like, this doesn't resonate because I can Mm -hmm. see similarities, but not everything was correct. Um, from there I, and I had, I had people who had more knowledge than me that would point me in the right path. And then I, I had to do the work. Um, obviously, and I think a lot of it was reiterated and hammered home when I started reading my real estate uh, textbooks, which is really a joke because most real estate agents, they just read it, do a multiple choice question and regurgitate it, and then they forget it. <laughs> like they just, um, but for me, because I had already been doing so much studying on contract law. So honestly, I think if you pick up, um, you know, just start looking up contract law, Google contract law and, and, you know, read something and you'll learn 
you may see something that's not familiar to you, investigate that. The other thing I also say to people is always sit with a dictionary. Um, legal dictionary is great, but it doesn't have to be a legal dictionary, but have a dictionary beside you or have a dictionary open on your Google. Because when you're reading law, um, you, you, may, you may think you know a word, but, and, but you may not understand that words have more than one meaning. And depending on how that word is used in the context it's used in, um, you may not realize that uh, that the meaning you think you know doesn't actually apply in that context. And I'm I'm going to use an example. Um, you know, like this has been a lovely this has been a lovely intercourse that we've had here, Beth. And most people are chuckling right now because you immediately think that you know a lot of people immediately associate sex with with the word intercourse, but really intercourse without the adjective, it was actually just a, 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 um, um, a, a discourse or a, a dialogue, I should say. An exchange, say. right? An exchange of, of communication between people and, and the adjective will necessarily change the, the, what the adjective, uh, the, the word means. So if you were to read a, a Jane Austen novel, for instance, they, the, the word intercourse is used all the time when, with their characters, but it wasn't sexual. <laughs> Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. keep a dictionary with you please keep a dictionary with you and when you think you see a word you mm -hmm. know look at the dictionary <laughs> yeah exactly i got myself one of those behemoth um oxford 1883 or something i can't remember the the name the uh <clears throat> excuse me the uh the year offhand but yeah words words are good know what they mean and and know what you are saying when you use those words it's a it's a really really great thing uh, so yeah, there's so much more to talk about. I wanted to go into the Bills of Exchange Act, and I think that's a, a huge relevant feature. You've you've shared a lot that's pointed towards that already. So uh, maybe you and I can get together, choose another time for you to come on, and we'll go into more depth. How does that sound? Uh, yeah, it sounds good. And I and I do really want to apologize to you and to anyone who's tuned into this. Um, I for some reason I had it in my head that you guys are two hours behind, and and maybe the time change had me messed up because we had the clocks change in Ontario a week ago. So maybe last week it was two hours and this week it's one hour. <laughs> I'm right. So we sorry. had a flip too. No, that's okay. Yeah. We're always about an hour out and uh, I always give uh, the time in my zone. So I don't make the error of saying it wrong in your time zone. <laughs> so that's, that's all right. That's okay. No problem at all. Thank you everyone for hanging in. I totally appreciate your presence uh, for those of you that have been chiming in in the chats and watching on uh, Rockfin. We got a couple of people and comments going uh, from the former VP Biden, <laughs> apparently. And yeah, this has been really powerful. You can find Amanda at standforthee.com. People are asking how to, to contact uh, you and find your information and your documents. I highly recommend going over there and seeing the work that's been done. Do you want to say anything more about that website? Um, so yeah, so the, the website itself, um, we're, it, it, we're, we've been putting so much stuff on it. It is not quite as organized as uh, Rebecca would normally keep it. So I do ask for your um, for your understanding on that. We also have a YouTube channel um, that you might want to log into. Um, I've got we we have weekly Zoom meetings. If you if you go to the standforthee.com and you give us your email, then you'll get the email link um, every week. So you can um, join us on our Zoom meetings, and then you can ask us questions. So we usually have a what we're talking about in the zoom meeting and then we sort of open it up to questions towards the end for people 
Um, this week, we will be launching the Promissory Estoppel in a lot more detail. If you have questions about the Promissory Estoppel, you'll be able to ask us firsthand on the Zoom meeting. Um, and uh, and then we've also got some informational videos on our YouTube channel. Uh, and one more fun fact, um, if anyone's been having troubles getting into the border, uh, getting into Canada, if they've traveled outside of the country and they've had trouble getting into Canada and they don't want to quarantine and they don't want to do the rapid antigen test, uh, if you go to the January 7th Zoom meeting, uh, Rebecca and Shepard and I, we both tried to cross the border into the United States. She got in, I didn't. Um, we had very different, uh, but when I came back, they wanted me to quarantine. They wanted me to take home rat tests. I refused to do all of it, didn't get a ticket. So um, I tell that story there because I cited the law and I explained to them how the law works. And at the end of the day, the cop gave me a wink and said, well, I'm just going to give you a warning today and left. <laughs> Perfect. I love that. I love that. It's so good. All right. I'm just posting in the chat here the link to the uh, stand for the um, YouTube channel. And I think I will leave it at that for the moment. So I'll, I'll uh, take some time and we'll find a new time to come back here. How does that sound? Okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it, Amanda. We're really cheering for you. And uh, thank you so much for starting that lawsuit. Like, keep us posted. I've got a whole lot of people in my world. Actually, we'd love to give, bring you on the Choose Freedom Law Summit as well, which is more in the private and a whole whole bunch of people that have been in there, but very few Canadians. This is something that it's been a long time waiting for the Canadians to come forward. Not that, uh, you know, that sounds lame, like we're just waiting, but... It's uh, it's very satisfying to have you doing your work out there with Stand for Thee. Well, again, I do thank you. And uh, as I say, it's not just going to be one lawsuit. It's going to be hopefully thousands or tens of thousands of lawsuits. Exactly. Um, it, would it be a class action or is that something different? You're just It's just a concerted claims. action. Small claims. Small claims. So, small, Death every, of a thousand cuts. <laughs> like one, yeah, it's exactly it. Death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Um, and, and it's to expose it's 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 again, folks, it is our system. And if we do it right, um, the idea is to start taking out the corrupt government. And, you know, at the moment, the courts are still prevailing. We know at the moment the courts are still prevailing when they're given the right instruments in law, when they're given the right tools. We know this because Dave Freedom had his charges withdrawn. Nick Smith had his charges withdrawn. John Chipola had his charges withdrawn. I got through the border without a ticket and I didn't quarantine and I didn't take home rat tests. Um, so we know at the moment things are still prevailing and as long as they continue to prevail and we start to make back the ground we have lost, I this is, I think, the way we're going to win. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen. All right. We'll leave it at that. Thank you very everyone for coming. This has been the King Heroes Journey podcast with Amanda Ridding at standforthee.com, where I highly recommend going to check her out and the YouTube channel as well. And we'll see you back again for part two. Bye, everyone.